Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Spooky Stacks. This is Count J. And this is Silver Shannarok, as okay. in, as in uh, at the time this is going up, it is going to be one more day till Halloween, 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 one more day till Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Uh, gotta be a Halloween movie for uh, the Halloween episode, of course. I mean, until we run out of them, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, we might. Some of them are. It'll be uh, a few uh, years. Yeah, yeah it'll take. Well, there's a bunch of them, and some of them are awful. But this one, despite its reputation, uh, I think is great. Uh, we're talking about Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, the misbegotten stepchild of the series. And yet I feel like it's closer to, in spirit anyways, to the original Halloween than probably any of the sequels that I've seen. This is the only one besides the first one that feels remotely like a John Carpenter movie. The music's a big part of that. Uh, it uh, is. Certainly. Uh, he was involved with only these first three. And, and he did the score for the first three of them. Although this one's in association with Alan Howarth, although he did a bunch of scores with Howarth, like Escape from New York's also co-Howarth. Oh. And I think Howarth would go on to basically do the scores for most of the rest of the series. So there's still a little bit of continuity music wise, but I also, I guess, just Tommy Lee Wallace as a guy who's buds with him. Right. He And he was the director. Yeah, Tommy Lee Wallace uh, directed uh, this one, and he played Michael Myers in some shots in the first one. So uh, he Carpenter is uh, also the producer on this one, which again he he left after the the first one. He he uh, only was interested in doing uh, these three, and this movie kind of feels like a let's not do any more of these. It's kind of the the whole sub theme of this movie. There are a lot of different, uh, a bunch of different parts in this movie where people are saying, this will be the last Halloween. Oh, they're not interested in doing another Halloween. Stop Halloween! Yeah, and, and just the whole commercialism element of this movie. Like, this is a movie about both the commercialism of Halloween and the commercialism of Halloween the franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in that regard, that's kind of that might be what makes this feel the most carpenter like. Yeah, uh, it the feels fact that it does have something to say about the commercialism of it all. Yeah, it, it feels a lot like they live. It does kind of um, I do. I got a lot of a li they live vibe. It's a little bit of Precinct 13, I think. Um, I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace also was the art director of uh, Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, cool. So he was kind of like a carpenter protege. Uh, so it it, it, it kind of tracks that this would feel more carpentery than later entries, which get off the track. And and just the idea, like, they, they all wanted it to end because they knew everybody wanted these goddamn Michael Myers movies, like more Michael Myers. Yeah, and you don't need more Michael Myers. Like I, how many times have we said it over the, over the course of the show that uh, the ending to Halloween one was perfect and never needed the sequel. Well, yeah, I, every, th every time they add more lore on top of it, it weakens it. Uh, I mean, like not really, but it, it, it 
they're like you know it still works on its own as a document it's just uh there there's no addition to this story that adds to it like every ad, every addition is a subtraction uh even the good ones honestly yeah pretty uh, much the the only exception to that i would say would be well, would be this one that uh even though it's not really about it's not really the same story but that the mask store exists in the universe, but also Halloween as a movie exists in this universe. So it's kind of weird that way. Right. So uh, apparently, like, or, or at least uh, so is Carpenter's claim. The original idea was for Halloween to be an anthology series. So just, you know, you know, they're, they're all going to be Halloween. You know, uh, different things happening on Halloween. Yeah, and, and I wish I wish they had kept that idea because this is like a really neat what could have been. And maybe mm-hmm. if they had released a different one of these every year, like maybe a, just a different kind of Halloween story, but each one's sort of maybe having like a little bit of that carpenter DNA, like in, in the directorial style. I think that would have been way more interesting than what we got. Oh, yeah, because uh, just like I said, the more you add on to Michael, the less effective it is because it just doesn't it, it takes the the fear away. Like the the fear of him is he is the shape that there is no stopping him and that there's just nothing real about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a less is more situation. Yeah. And and just adding relatives upon relatives upon relatives. <laughs> just Jesus. I, I don't know why that's a big horror thing. Michael Myers' fifth cousin will be the one to stop him for good this time. Yeah, let's do a trilogy based on his niece and then just really make it bad at the end. Yeah, then <laughs> keep finding reasons to, like, resurrect Jamie Lee Curtis when she's dead or, you know. Well, they they just re- reboot the timeline every time they bring Jamie Lee Curtis back. <laughs> yeah, there's... Oh, man, the, the Halloween timeline is... Uh, pretty ridiculous to look at on paper well it's weird because a lot of people think of laurie as the main character of the series and she's the main character of the first movie and then her story carries over into the second sort of although it's much like halloween kills where she's mostly just in a hospital bed throughout the movie oh okay it's just in that movie most of the action takes place at the hospital the whole thing pretty right. much uh, I so, want to see the second one one of these times. I don't know if I want to cover it, but I do got to watch it. It's not bad. I mean, like, it's uh, as far as the other sequels go, it's the most decent of them all. Like, it's the only other one that I sometimes watch. And, like, it's it's only in this last viewing that I found five pretty fun. Okay. Because, like, after three, I've pretty, like, I, I gave up on this series. I, I've never been interested in the series after three. <laughs> and not because three is bad, because I love three. Oh, three gets better every time I watch it. Oh, completely. Last time I had seen it was a few years ago, and I remember it. I actually remembered it being so much sillier than it actually was. Uh, it, it goes pretty hard. Yeah, it's got a lot of interesting stuff. It's just it's such a weird story. It's just bizarre. Yeah, it really is. Uh, like so, like the whole premise is silly. Oh, it's it's goofy. And it's about, like, it's goofy sort of on purpose. Like, it is self-satirical. I I would say this movie is self-immolating, much (laughs) like the first 
uh, of our suits. And and it's a movie that's sort of about how this franchise needs to be stopped and how uh, horror franchises and the repetition of them and how corporate suits just want everything to be the same over and over. Uh, I don't know. It, it feels like that's really the main point of this movie more than anything. Oh, yeah, because because there's even in the uh, in the Halloween um, vision that Connell has created, there's only three different monsters you can be. There are only three, the big three, and they are they are right. it in the monster universe. I mean, they're all peanuts characters. Like there there are things that you, oh God, you would have seen them are. trick or treat as on in the Peanuts Halloween special. Well, they totally are. I didn't even yeah, they totally are. <laughs> so I mean, they are classics. Yeah. And and actually, let's get into this right now. So the three masks. Uh we've got the pumpkin, we've got the skeleton, we've got the witch. Uh which is the best and if you're going to say anything other than pumpkin, you're wrong. <laughs> the skeleton looks pretty bad. I think the witch looks really bad. Oh. Yeah, I thought the witch mask is the one that looks the cheapest for some reason. I don't know. Like, it does have that extra hat piece, but it just looks like the dud of the bunch to me. I I do kind of wonder, like, the quality of these masks, how did they become as popular as they they have in this world? I would have to say market saturation. Uh, I mean, like, they've got a real advertising blitz on, and, you know, they're pretty good quality. Well, that's true. Do you remember 80s Halloween costumes and the sort of incredibly cheap, brittle plastic masks that were the common standard? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what Dr. Dan brings to his kids. And they're like, "Uh, no. Yeah. No, we're we're way above that. We've leveled up, Dad. And yeah, I mean, I could see that in the universe of the 80s. It's like, yeah, these are just way better masks than were commonly commercially available, at least at a reasonable price. These are movie prop quality. Yeah, and then of course uh, the culture will be gets the culture among children will be such that oh my god, did you look at Billy? He doesn't have a skeleton, a pumpkin, or a witch. Oh, he can't even do Halloween. Mom, I gotta get me a skeleton, pumpkin, or witch mask, or the kids aren't gonna love me. Yeah, I, it would be a whole thing. It's like the Jordans thing in the the late eighties and early nineties. Oh yes. Yeah. So. You you agree, Pumpkin, obviously the best of the three. Oh, for sure. So especially, good. Especially when, like, later on, the pumpkin mask rots and it looks like a real rotting pumpkin. Oh, so good. Yeah, and, and little Buddy Jr. gets it. Uh, <laughs> great scene. Mm-hmm. So we open on TV distortion. I, I think it's interesting that it goes hard into advertising because like broadcast television and advertising are sort of the main villains of this movie Mm -hmm. because they drive both the men in suits they're you know they're they they are uh behind the sequelization and the franchising they 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 rule they're all of the villains they're the meta and the in-universe villains And and I do feel like the the Carpenter Howard score gives a lot of atmosphere, even though it's not the same score as Halloween. Like it's very different. Oh yeah, I, I well, I mean, I don't think it would work if they used the same type of score. Well, pretty much all of the subsequent ones are just kind of the same score uh, recycled <laughs> in like different fashions. Yeah. More so once they get into the legacy sequels with Jamie Lee Curtis, H2O, and so forth. 
at the same time, the Halloween theme slaps so hard. I don't mind hearing a thousand different rearrangements of it. True. Although, you know what the fa- the best one is? The original one? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. That one really rampages. So I, I kind of just would love to hear that one more frequently. And then, I, you know, riff on it like jazz from there. But I, I want to hear that one in there. But I, not necessarily yeah, here. Yeah, no, not here, but it, it should have been used in the sequels. But then then they'd have to pay John Carpenter, because as we know, you have to pay John Carpenter. Well, I think they always, like, he he's always getting paid for all of these because he's the creator. So he sort of has residuals based on the characters and everything to begin with. Uh, and they're always doing variations on the theme in some form. So he's certainly getting paid for, you know, original Halloween theme by... He's getting credits and stuff. Oh, of course. Yeah, I should have known. John Carpenter's always going to get paid. So the the opening thing, we have a spoopy computer pumpkin, just a, a, a dot matrix, a orange, old, like, DOS pumpkin. It it feels like a little bit of a drop from one and two, which both have real pumpkins. It does, but kind of gives a kind of gives like a more atmospheric thing, like a kind of. Uh, how do I explain it? I like it. I, I, think I like the, it. Yeah, my, my thing is that it's like it, it does seem like it's a step down, but it's also thematically appropriate for them being like, OK, I mean, this is the one where we're just, you know, talking about advertising. And this is just a shitty broadcast image of like the most lo-fi, uh, easy to recognize Halloween icon. Here's just a the cheapest, fakest pumpkin. And, and not only that, like. This is also one where, like, the enemy is using the enemy. Well, the enemy, yeah. Uh, the villains are using technology in addition to magic to uh, bring their prank to fruition, which is uh, kind of actually kind of unusual. Usually, for Halloweeny type horror movies, they're just using magic. It's only well, really in sci-fi where they get to use technology most of the time. It's it's magic powered technology. Uh, yeah. To be fair, but yeah, it, you know they're they're adapting magic to commercialization. They're mass producing magic. <laughs> they're mass producing ritual sacrifice. Exactly. Kind of a cool and scary thought, and it's interesting that uh, more horror movies don't explore that idea. Well, this movie got completely sacrificed at the box office, so I think that may be <laughs> part of the reason. That's probably it. So once we get past our opening buzz with the, just like the dot matrix computer, the spoopy pumpkin, we open at this junkyard somewhere in Northern California. And there's this dude being chased and he's got one. He's got the pumpkin mask in his pocket because he, he knows where it's at. Oh, yeah. He's got to show whoever about, you know, the horrible conspiracy that's going on. Yeah. And he's being chased by this anonymous drone in a suit uh and i i do feel like specifically them all being these generic suited drones this army of identical guys it does feel like a very carpentry satire of 80s capitalism <laughs> oh totally like they totally look like 80s middle managers but with black leather gloves for strangling yeah, yeah. so that that is what they do they they strangle the dude or they're starting to strangle him, and he very cleverly he gets a hold of a chain, which releases a block under a car tire a little ways up. Yeah. And uh, you know, 
crush. Yeah, rolls forward, gets the guy, uh, and he doesn't really react to it in any way. Uh, we don't know yet, obviously, that they're robots, but obviously he's not acting like a real human. The robot guys acting is like really good. They don't act like stereotypical robots. They just act like really uncanny valley people. It really works. Yeah, they're good featured extras, I guess, because pretty much none of them have lines. They're all just sort of background actors. And most of the time they're just looming and they do looming very well. They, they do it really well. Uh, I love like the different places that they loom just in doorways or half in the shadows sometimes. Oh, and they're hanging out at the factory. That is the coolest. Mm -hmm. So our guy who's being chased, who's got the mask, he flees into the junkyard, pursued by the other guy because they work in pairs. Yeah, at, at least pairs. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. You know, there's a horde of them. They're they're just. Oh yeah. They're mass producible goons. Yeah, you, you don't have to hi worry about, like, uh, hiring or onboarding or paying them. Uh, the future is in automation of goons. That's right. Uh, I just watched another movie about that. <laughs> but that one's with zombies. Oh. <laughs> uh, so we cut immediately to an hour later. Uh, I, it's interesting the way this uses time. You get a lot of, much as the first one, you, you get a lot of uh, points about what time it is or what day it is. But it just jumps all over the fucking place. Mm -hmm. It's like one hour later, three days later, one day later. And it's like we don't really need it most of the time because we already have a certain jingle to tell us how many days it is, <laughs> how many days it's been. Pretty much figure it out given the milieu of the scene. Although you'd be surprised how many or how few times it plays ultimately. I thought I remember that the jingle would play a lot more. I, I just, right. Because I counted it, gets so it this stuck time. in your head. Yeah. I, I, I was wondering, because I counted it this time. It's like, yeah, it's actually not as many times as I thought, but it's just such an earworm. Because, yeah, you know, it's it's a nursery rhyme. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, because that'll be coming up real soon, the first playing of it. Uh, so we're, we're at this garage. There's the, the, the attendant in the garage watching a news bulletin, very notable, about the Stonehenge theft. Oh, yeah. How... Uh... How one of the main stones of Stonehenge, uh, the big giant blocks, just mysteriously vanished. I mean, it must have been Carmen Sandiego. Oh my God, she would. She's, she probably has. I bet I, that's how he did it. He hired her. I love that this has the same setup as what would have been pretty good for a Carmen Sandiego movie. And it's just oh, as goofy man. of a plot. He's, he's Is there gonna... a Carmen Sandiego movie? I want there to there... be one. I don't think so, but like, you know, it's it's one of those IPs that's just always stuck around. It, it would be interesting to do one, like do literally the plot of Halloween 3, but do it in like a goofy kids movie version for Carmen Sandiego, because just the idea of haunted Halloween masks that turn your head to snakes and bugs, it fits better in a children's movie, but it's really weird and intense in an adult movie. <laughs> it, it could also be a Scooby-Doo plot. Oh, completely. Oh, Let's see who's really under this mask. It's old man spiders. <laughs> so the the newsman says it weighs five tons, making its disappearance a mystery indeed. <laughs> oh, I bet whoever took it had a time getting it out of there. Uh, it's, I, like I, it's it's one of my favorite elements of it that they deliberately 
it's like the prank on the viewer that like <laughs> i mean we there's no way we can explain it so we're just going to say nope every time we will not it was explain it oh it's really <laughs> difficult to do you'd be amazed You'd be amazed. It's 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 kind of like one. It's actually become one of our big inside jokes in our friend group. <laughs> so good. And then what plays is our first advertisement for Silver Shamrock Masks, where it is eight more days till Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, it's it's the nursery rhyme. Yeah, it's it's London Bridge is falling down, which yep. it, it's been in my head for years, and it took me until like just yesterday to realize that that's what it was. And, and that's a really like I, I think that's a clever element of this movie is to pattern it on a basic nursery rhyme because that's so common in cheap local advertising. And they're such freaking earworms because they're, they're like in the sort of unconscious of our whole society. I feel like everybody learned them as a child. Oh, of course. And yeah, these are the ones who these are the ones that stood the test of time. That's how ear wormy they are i bet there's been yeah. hundreds of other nursery rhymes from back then that just gone because you know they don't catch on just quite like this one does oh sure uh what one of the other lines that i really like on it as well the the narrator who uh, is voiced by tommy lee wallace the director oh cool uh he says you too can own one of the big halloween three uh, <laughs> like oh stand up and applaud how it's the title halloween three after you get out of the theater make sure you pre-order the vhs although it's the 80s i don't know if pre-orders were a thing no i vhs's were incredibly expensive it, it was to uh drown out competition against the video stores oh so they'd be like 70 bucks especially if it was something like uh culty you know, you had to be really into it to be a collector back then. Really? I, oh, yeah. I, I, was too, I was like so young. I didn't pay attention to how much stuff costed in the VHS area. I had no clue. It's pretty much that everybody just rented because it's just way too expensive to own. I, I think oh, yeah. like Disney sort of pioneered them where they would like periodically put them out in mass produced affordable uh, ones that are for customer sale but you know it, it was not common for people to have much of a library beyond that actually you know that might be true the only ones or at least mostly the only ones that we owned were disney movies yeah and like you'd have the the big main titles and then video stores would sell off their uh mainline stock when they went when they went to uh went off new releases because you'd buy a whole wall of them initially and so you'd get used copies in the marketplace yeah, when, more than that but when blockbuster suddenly didn't need 50 copies of halloween 3 anymore <laughs> i mean i don't think they ever needed 50 copies of halloween 3 <laughs> probably not uh so the power goes out in the garage and this attendant he he has an amazing chin just like really juts and and he strokes his chin in thought for a moment oh the, yeah <laughs> uh, and, I, I like the garage guy yeah and he shows up at the end of the movie too so the our, our guy who's been chased with the pumpkin mask he shows up and he startles him he says they're coming and he falls to the floor you know i think i just feel like if you're being chased by someone and you gotta get a message out try being a little less cryptic just maybe kind of rehearsing in your head as you're running i'm only gonna need three words maybe i should say who's coming 
I mean, he, I, I, I don't think he could have told him. That's probably true. Like, what, what could he have said that would have uh, really uh, communicated the issue? Okay, so Sh- Silver Shamrock has these robots that are coming. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I really, saying. really know where to go with it. It's like, they're coming. We, we got to get going, uh, is the thing. And he takes them to the hospital, and they are shadowed by another drone in a suit. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, associated with the hospital, Tom Atkins as... I, and I was really surprised to learn the name of the character, even though I've seen this movie a billion times. I just <laughs> always think of him as just Tom Atkins. <laughs> I know. I keep I, I don't even really know the actor, but I keep thinking his name should be Tom. I love Tom Atkins. He's like one of the great 80s guys. He's so good in this and like Night of the Creeps. He, he was in a bunch of great 80s horror stuff. And he's kind of just always this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he He is very much the 80s protagonist guy he he has incredible divorced dad energy so is his character name in this is dr daniel chalice chalice is a weird last name yeah it is isn't it so dr dan uh but i i'm always just thinking of as tom atkins yeah he doesn't actually he doesn't do anything doctorly at all in this movie no he's like Getting out of work because he wants to hang out with the hot young chick who's, uh, you know, she's got a problem. She's maybe interested. Yeah, but, you know, maybe maybe it's inappropriate to take advantage of her in her current emotional state. But, you know, that's the kind of guy he is. He's a bit of a functional alcoholic. Uh, it, it seems like he's got certain problems that aren't really working out. I, I would say one of the other sub themes of this movie is failure uh, and something that sort of continues into our second feature it's a sub theme uh, there in reality whereas here it's kind of textual yeah so he is a divorced dad he's struggling uh it, he's clearly struggling he's showed up with these cheap gas station masks as we mentioned <laughs> and the wife is or the the ex-wife is no help whatsoever just like <laughs> nice try way to get a shitty gift every time you hear her from the rest of the movie it's just she's on the other end of a phone mad at him over not doing yeah, something for the kids <laughs> well because every time she talks to him it's because he's canceling something he was supposed to do with the kids Oh, yeah, no, he is. You think he's like struggling, but actually his kids just aren't that big of a priority in his life. Yeah, he's struggling, but he's kind of not trying at this. But I mean, to be fair, he does have a whole interesting thing going on here. I'm, I'm not sure at what point he becomes really involved in the plot so much as the girl. But it's it's you know, he's interested in the plot from the beginning, I guess. Just, he's. He's he the is traumatized by the guy, uh, yeah, and also motivated by his desire to get laid. If he can solve both of them on one road trip, score. Oh yeah, all time win. So the the kids don't want the goddamn cheap gas station masks because they already have the silver shamrock mask. Check it out, Dad. They've got the skull and the witch. To be fair, those masks are a lot better than what he brought home. They're way so better. Much better. They're incredibly better. Uh, and the kids throughout the whole scene while the adults are talking are just wearing the masks, jumping up and down, screaming the jingle. 
<laughs> watching the TV, like they are. Uh, I was like this as a kid too in the eighties. You just, you just repeat the commercial jingles that it must have driven our parents crazy. Right, and again, this is commentary on commercialization and how it, it is echoed by children, and you know how you use nursery rhymes to get children to repeat it, and it gets them like excited about the product. And then it becomes, can we have a mask, mom? Can we have a mask, mom? Can we have a mask, mom? Right, and associating it with horror and violence, and you know, th- this is what they're doing with horror franchising and horror movies, where you know, Carpenter has always been, no, these are movies for adults, but they're kind of trending towards making them for teens and making them for kids, and you can sell them as Halloween costumes. This is such a Carpenter movie. It really I, is. Like you could feel his involvement in there. You can feel his seething rage at the system. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, that's, it, it's tangible. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a uniquely Carpenter-type rage, too, I think. Yeah, well, it's so much like they live. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they the kids turn on the TV, uh, a, a Shamrock ad comes up after the first couple things. So again, second playing, uh, it, it's still it's eight still more eight. days. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the first few times we hear it, it is eight more days. Mm-hmm. And I feel that them turning on the TV and it coming up pretty much immediately is not a narrative convenience, that it is realism and satire. I mean, it is one of those things that's often made fun of. Like, The Simpsons uh, kind of spoofed that really well. Mm-hmm. But when it's, a, when it's a mass-produced commercial, it really does happen like that. Well, especially something... Especially something seasonal, and it probably fits with just this company's marketing strategy of just blanket marketing. And you got a lot more of this back then when there were fewer channels. Uh, yeah, like there's only there's only three channels at at this point in time, or, or yeah, three major I, ones. Yeah, I don't recall exactly how it worked. Maybe you maybe this is pre-cable or whatever, because uh, it's. This is before I was born, but not long before. But oh, there, there were more than three. Out. This is eighty-two. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, th- so I would have been one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the year before I was born. Uh, Atkins gets a call from work because uh, you know the junkyard guy thing. Right. And and he is a doctor. So this is the first time. This is the one and only time we see him doing doctor stuff, I believe. And by doing doctor stuff, it's basically just. Him getting called into work is the doctor stuff he does. Yeah, he goes to the hospital and then he's asleep at the hospital and he wakes up <laughs> when he, he sleeps on the couch. <laughs> yeah, he goes in and he goes to sleep at the hospital. And thank God they called me in. I can get away from my damn kids. Yeah, and he's awoken by a TV playing the ad. So it is number three. It is still eight more days till Halloween. <laughs> yeah. And here, like when they're firing off the ad in quick succession, I, I always felt like that's how the whole movie was. Yeah. Uh, the the guy, uh, our guy who was chased by the suits, he yeah. he wakes up and he tells Atkins, they're going to kill us, all of us, which is very, very body snatchers. Have you ever seen the original or the 70s body snatchers? I saw the one that ends with the iconic shot of the guy pointing at the hero. Okay, um, so that's 1978, the the one with uh, Sutherland doing it. Don't right, Sutherland. right. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that, I've seen that one. Yeah, this one is maybe more trending towards original uh, 50s Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And Santa Mira 
is the city from uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like the original oh, one. No kidding. Yeah. Oh no kidding. Yeah. Oh, so that, that's, that's another layer in there. Yeah. That's clever. And this guy, the the way he acts, it feels very much like the end of the original Body Snatchers, where the guy's in the hospital and he's like, this is happening. I, I need someone to please believe me so we can potentially put a stop to it before they kill everyone. Mm. Uh, and we see outside the hospital a drone, our, our, one of our suited guys outside, uh, ominously looming. That's what they're best at. Yep. And our guys in room 13, spooky. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Halloween nice. stuff. Of course. I never even I never even saw that. I, I was looking for those sort of details on this watch because I've seen this movie so many times. Oh, for sure. So uh, they, they leave and our, our drone comes into the hospital. He goes into the room and ooh, this one's nasty. Oh, this 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 is good. He, they're good at looming and turns out they're pretty good at killing. He puts uh, his thumb and index finger into his eyes and gouges them and then curls meets them together under the nose bone mm. pulls up and busts it oh man uh, <laughs> like like i was saying i i remember this movie being silly but this and then what happens next movie goes hard and yeah in, uh, in a few places <laughs> This is a very intense gore moment. Like, I, I had forgotten just how intense it is. Just him, because it isn't just, like, one swift motion. He, like, digs his fingers in and, like, roots around oh, in there for yeah. a while, finding... And and like you just see, to... like, juice and goo coming out of his eyes. It's very gross. Yeah, it's like he's pushing in, like, he's, like, popping the eyeballs, or it's, like, squishing them against the back of the skull. And then, yeah, just... I, I've never seen anything like that before of just him pulling the the nose bone just breaking it outwards that's intense that's so gross that's incredibly violent and the guy just like you know he he he's wiping the blood off his gloves on the curtain and the nurse comes in and he just nonchalantly walks away <laughs> yeah. she screams yeah uh, because he has a very specific plan in mind. He heads out to his car and he's got a good old can of gasoline. So what I found interesting, uh, now that I've actually, actually thought about it, mm. why bother with the gloves and the wiping off the blood? He's not, he doesn't, he's not going to have fingerprints. It's something they mention really late in the movie. And it's sort of a, a throwaway line. If you're not paying attention to it, uh, they mentioned that just the, the hands are hard to make look real. <laughs> so you, you you put gloves on them. Uh, OK, it's the toughest okay. part. Yeah, he he pours gasoline all over himself, lights it up and kaboom, car goes. Kaboom. And uh, Atkins witnesses the whole thing. Yeah. Or the explosion part of the thing, not not the gougy part. Right. He He runs out to see the guy pour the gasoline and blow up. And then it smash cuts to a couple hours later, and he's just dealing with the fall of it, fallout of it with police and everyone at the hospital. And his wife is hilariously not understanding about the situation at all. <laughs> yeah. Like he was yeah. supposed to come pick the kids up and he's like, look, a few people died. And just like a few people died. You work at a hospital. People die all the time. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> a really scary Halloweeny murder happened. Yeah, well, 
He's like, look, I'll I'll take the kids overnight next Saturday. I promise. Ironclad. Nothing could change it. <laughs> Nothing could change. Yeah, that's right. Definitely gonna do this. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, Atkins takes the pumpkin mask, which uh, the guy has left on, like uh, the, the the killed guy, the the guy whose yeah. face got gouged. Uh, he still had the pumpkin mask on, and so Atkins takes it. He he realizes maybe there's something going on here, and also maybe he's like, yeah, maybe I could give this to the kids. <laughs> Could you be one what? of the two. <laughs> uh, I do think it's interesting that the agent uh, didn't take the pumpkin mask. True. Although, I mean, everybody has them, and there's there's really nothing you can prove with it. That's true. I mean, because this guy was a salesman. Exactly the same as the one you can get from the store. Right. And and this guy did sell them, so it kind of makes sense that it would be on his person. So maybe Atkins really is just taking it for his kids. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. <laughs> So it's next day, Sunday the 24th, uh, which I guess isn't all that spooky of a day. No, not really. I, I guess that's one of the things that people don't love about this is that we have all these dates. <laughs> it's like, none of these are Halloween just yet, huh? It takes a long <laughs> time for us to get to that Halloween day. Well, we need to build up to it. We need to... Although it feels like we spend a lot of time... Like, there's a lot of days that just get skipped over where I guess Atkins is just doing his daily life of ignoring his kids and drinking yeah, beer. We, we skip most of this week because it's Sunday the 24th and we just have one thing. Uh, the, the junkyard man, uh, I, I can't, I can't remember the, the dude's name, but Ellie shows up. Who's our, our female lead. Right. She is the daughter of the, the murder victim. Yes. Uh, the, the guy who had the mask, guy who was running away from the robots. And she arrives at the hospital to identify him. And it's pretty gross. Yep. She freaks uh, out, of course. Yeah. Sheriff Dunsmere. Uh, drugs, probably. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's drugs. But that's that's all we get there. And then we flash forward all the way to Wednesday, the 27th. We, we skip three days right away. Yeah. Uh, and Atkins at this point is talking slash flirting with Teddy, uh, our medical examiner who uh, really deserves better. Oh, she deserves so much better. She is Atkins. Uh, she is his guy in the chair. Yeah. It does not work out well for her. No, no. Like. I get the impression that they are dating at this point. She seems to be it it seems like a money penny situation where she's always like, Well, I keep asking him to take me out to dinner and it just like he keeps pushing it off. But he keeps flirting like he's going to you know what? Yeah, I actually that, that makes sense too. Yeah. So I, I do think it's interesting that he like she's not really like, I, I don't know, we, we can't really deal with this. And he asks her to personally handle it. So in a way, he kind of personally gets her killed. Mm -hmm. And and I do think this is part of the sub theme of this movie of failure, where our hero fails frequently and kind of causes more problems endlessly. Yeah, he doesn't even even at the end, he doesn't even completely get to succeed. No, he doesn't really succeed fully at the end. And I mean, a lot of people would be changing channels. So mm -hmm. there's there's three channels and if one's out. Hmm, well, let's see if the other one's in. So we jump forward again to Friday the 29th. We pretty much skip the whole week. 
I do kind of wonder what he's been doing all this time. Really just, like, is he trying to process watching the dude blow himself up, or is he trying to forget it? I think he's probably working. He's working most of this week, and and it's just his work week, so they're not really showing. Uh, It's it's sort of weird that it has two cut-ins where we have uh, Sunday, we have Wednesday, and then we have Friday. Like, why didn't we just put a couple of those things midweek? I don't know. Or put both of the first couple things in Sunday, whatever. Or maybe just not date those at all and don't start dating it until they go on their road trip because that's when it matters. Yeah. Or you don't need the dates at any point because we're going to be hearing exactly how many days it is to Halloween all the time. That's true. It's weird. (laughs) Right, of course. That's a a unique feature about this movie. You really don't need that. (laughs) So on Friday the 29th, Atkins is day drinking. It looks like he's having a good old uh, 10 a.m. beer in this really great, dank, dark dive bar. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'd like to imagine he is constantly drunk on the job, uh, the doctor be, job. Yeah, I would not be surprised. He legitimately seems to be a functioning alcoholic. We're frequently seeing him going for beer before he goes on any of his adventures. <laughs> yep. Alcohol first. And it it is obviously like midday. Yeah. And on the bar TV, an ad for Halloween, the TV broadcast of the original, uh, the immortal classic Halloween starring Jamie Lee Curtis, which notably is the same narrator as the Silver Shamrock ads. Oh, no kidding. Well, it it makes sense because it is. Oh, no, it totally does. Yeah. Two more days till Halloween. It's two more days now. Our fourth playing of the th- of the jingle. Oh wow! So yeah, there there really isn't that many. It's true. Uh, so yeah, it jumps all the way from eight to two. We never hear any of them in between. And in my memory, I remember I remember clearly hearing all of them, even though this did not happen. Right. So Atkins asks him to change the channel because he's incredibly sick of hearing it <laughs> change it turn it off stop it no not yet but no here's he like oh, can you please just not he's like what don't you have any halloween spirit bah humbug bah humbug uh and ellie shows up she just people knew he would be at the bar oh yeah she even says the hospital said i'd find you here <laughs> like, <laughs> so funny <laughs> works got him pegged yeah, and, and she asks him about her dad, and he lies. He's like, uh, yeah, his last words were, tell Ellie I love her. She's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> nice try, dude. But then, like, he immediately goes into get let's get real mode, though, so to his credit. Yeah, he tells her the truth, and it's mm. crazy, but it's like, this is what really happened. And she takes him to the hardware store. Uh, so I've always heard that it was... The one that he stole the mask from in like trivia and stuff. But I watched the hell, the, the uh, horrors hallowed halls or whatever featurette on the uh, shout factory or scream factory disc that we're watching. Mm-hmm. And they show the actual shop that it was shot in, which is uh, one in Santa Mira that would not have been uh, where they were shooting in the original one. Oh, oh, interesting, because it looks the same in, in the shot. I'm looking at the window, I'm like, this looks like that store. It looks super similar. I think maybe they chose it because it looks similar, but 
uh, yeah, maybe they set it up to look similar even. Could have been, could have been. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, it's supposed to be in the opposite coast because uh, Haddonfield oh, yeah. is Illinois. It's Illinois, right, which is... Although it wasn't shot there. No, but... But yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's a completely different part of the country. But yeah, it looks quite a bit like it. Yeah, I it's, it's something it I had always heard. Yeah, I had frequently yeah. heard that it was the same one, but uh, apparently it is not. That seems to just be one of those false pieces of trivia. Oh, dang. <laughs> well, debunking uh, misinformation, one podcast at a time. <laughs> this is The Stacks. So they look into the books, uh, her dad's books, and they find that he went on a trip to Santa Mira to pick up a shipment of masks from Silver Shamrock. And it's the last appointment he made. He made other appointments, but they, they find out he didn't show up for anything. At, that's the last, yeah. Right. The last, the last appointment one he, he made it to. Made it to. Right, uh, right. So uh, Atkins grabs a six-pack of Miller High Life, and they <laughs> hit the road. <laughs> yeah, he's like, and the way that they do it, I love it. He's like looking at her. Uh, like looking at her up and down, clearly thinking, I want to sleep with this woman. And then it's smash cuts to him talking to his ex on a payphone saying I was going to cancel. Yeah, I, I I couldn't get out of it. It's a medical conference, honey. You, you understand. <laughs> like, you lying sack of shit. With, you know, his hand curled around the sixer of Miller High Life on top of the payphone. <laughs> Our hero, everybody. It's so good. <laughs> it's really good. And as he runs to the car, we hear the jingle again, fifth playing. It's still two more days till Halloween. Mm -hmm. uh, and something I noticed in in the ad uh, that that I that hadn't really occurred to me on previous viewings, but it's pretty obvious. In the ad, we see a kid's child or a child's face flash and you know dancing back and forth, and it yep. fades into a monster mask. It turns into the the mask and, oh, and yeah. becomes monstrous. Uh, so, he, you know, he's tipping his hand. He's saying what he's going to do all along. Oh, of course. That's <laughs> that's how you know a good prankster. They, they give you the clues, but you still got to figure it out yourself. Exactly. So Ellie's looked looked into it a bit. And after World War II, Connell Cochran, what a great villain, by the way. Dan O'Hurley. Oh, my God. I love this man. The man. So good. He is such a great villain. He's so much fun. He just he lights up the screen with his exuberant joy, but then like fades, turn it off and switch to dark horror narrator. He, he's a really great theatrical presence that is, is perfectly in tune with the material. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's tough material to be in tune with. Like you, you're, it's a real live wire <laughs> act. Oh, yeah. He, he, he nails it, though. Maybe the best thing about this movie is him. Arguably, I think both him and Atkins completely nail it in very different ways, but obviously extremely different characters. Mm -hmm. After World War II, he started his toy factory in uh, Santa Mara, California. It used to be a large local dairy that he converted. Oh, yeah. We find out later he brought he brought all of his own people in. Yeah. And uh, did not hire any of the locals. Yeah. Uh, and obviously he didn't bring his own people in. He made uh, he his own made people. Them, he, but... yeah. <laughs> so as they drive into town, everybody stares. And there's also video cameras watching them. Yeah, it's the whole, we don't take too kindly to strangers in these parts. Or, more chillingly, company town. 
Yeah, actually, that is scarier. That's um, <laughs> very scary. That's a scary thing. Uh, come, oh man, the last time I had watched this, I didn't understand what a fucking scary thing company towns were. Yeah. So he proposes to Ellie that they pass off as buyers uh, at the mask factory, and we'll just rent to motel rooms. We can. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we'll pretend to be man and wife, uh, so you know people won't uh, think anything's weird. No, no people. We can talk where people aren't staring at us all the time. And then, since they are staring at us, we better have sex, you know, to so that people know we really are married, right? <laughs> I, I this love this guy's got a great plan. Oh, he, he's got it all figured out. Uh, I, I really like the way the factory looms over the town in the distance, like oh, yeah. when, when they're at the gas station and motel. Every time, every, in pretty much every exterior shot, you see the factory over everything. Super cool, and it's just real. Like that's not matted in or anything. That's just how the factory in this actual town was. <laughs> that's even that's scarier. Place called Lolita, California. Oh my! <laughs> but with okay. an E rather than an I. Uh, um, L O L E T A. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. But just a weird, spooky, kind of like quasi-ghost town. Yeah, I don't want to dig too much into what happens in a, a ghost town called Lolita. Well, again, in the Horrors Hallowed Halls, they go to the real place and uh, they're being bothered by junkies when they're trying to <laughs> shoot some of it. <laughs> when they're like trying to shoot the motel, it's still active and there's some people who don't take kindly to you soft city folk. Oh my, uh, yeah. oh my. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, they go to the Rose of Sharon Motel, uh, and as they sign in, Cochran's town car very slowly drives by, you know, just showing that he's aware of them in town. He's he's driving by to see what they're doing. Yep, yep. I like to imagine just slowly driving through town is part of his regular daily activities, too. Just let everybody know that he's there. It's something to do. It, also, it may he not, has very much something to do. It, it may not even necessarily be him. It could be one of his robots that he just sends as a drone to, like, just make sure there's an eye on people all the time. Oh, that's true. He might not even be in that car right now. We don't know. Right. It, the, the windows never roll down. He doesn't stop this time. Mm-hmm. So who also rolls up is Buddy Kupfer and his family. <laughs> I love his Clark Griswold hat. They reminded me a lot of the the family in Body Melt who go to the health farm. Oh, they really do. Especially little Buddy, who is a little shit, and he's just like the kid who has the skate or the rollerblading accident. Yeah, he, the kid who gets it. Yeah, and and little Buddy here. Uh, well, I mean, they, they they're all gonna get it, but you know. Yeah, they'll they'll get it. He grabs his bike off the front of their RV and rides off, no helmet, giving a middle finger. You know, this was the 80s. You didn't need helmets back then. It's true. It was a good introduction to the character, though. Just establishing that these people are kind of unpleasant loudmouths. They're novelty (laughs) salesmen. They're novelty sales family. So another there's another novelty lady, the Marge Gutman, another sales lady. For some reason, I keep wanting to call her Elaine, and I don't know why. Hmm. She's not that. Elaine from Seinfeld. She's not really, not, not really. really like her. So I don't know why. I don't know. 
notably both when 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 both of them come in both buddy and marge when they drive in they almost hit atkins in the parking lot both of them <laughs> yeah they're they're both really obnoxious drivers and just really obnoxious people yeah they're assholes they're all trash peddling assholes which I think is, again, part of the very angry satire of this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, like, like Buddy is like that uh, that super nice, overbearingly nice guy, so nice that he's actually an asshole. I kind of get the feeling that this is also sort of their view of theater distributors and, and like the, the theater distribution of people and like, you know, the, the tycoons who, who run those. Oh, that could be. I, I do kind of get see that. Yeah, them sort of subbing in for just uh, that that class uh, again. Just mm. loudmouth assholes peddling trash, and uh, in in keeping <laughs> with this movie as being uh, very self-immolating. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> so Ellie is like, well, let's go to the factory right now. Hawkins like, whoa, whoa, it's getting late. I could use a drink. <laughs> let's take our time. <laughs> Yeah, he, he is here to investigate, but he's not in a hurry to do it. <laughs> I was like, uh, drink first, investigation later. He has a very half-hearted discussion about it. Like, I guess I'll sleep in the car, you know, because so it, it's probably more comfortable than the floor and, you know. <laughs> and we don't really know each other, so we shouldn't sleep in bed. Unless dot 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 <laughs> question mark. Yeah, and she says, "Where do you want to sleep, Doctor?" She's into it. Oh yeah, she is. The first time I watched it, I thought this romance was like really like gross and out of place. And now we just think it's gross, but completely in place. Uh, this was his plan the whole time, and it is where it, he was going, and and she was into it. You know, yeah, it's it's fine. You know, they're they're consenting adults. They're it's sort of a weird situation emotionally, given that she just lost her dad and he's the doctor in charge. But you know, whatever. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> it works. It works. Yeah. So we see them kiss and we go outside and a 6 p.m. curfew toll tolls. 6 p.m. Yeah. Oh, that stinks. Yeah. It, and then the loudspeakers is like everybody's got to be inside. Uh, what what do they say happens to anyone caught outside? They say something. I'm not sure. I, I think it's just a fine or something. You're you're just supposed yeah. to be inside. You're you're not allowed to be out. Although the liquor store is still open. Well, they got to be open because they saw Tom Atkins rolling in. Yeah, I mean that's where he's at. We we see him go to buy liquor, and he encounters a compatriot. <laughs> Uh, i like this this guy kind of reminded me of like a almost like a woody harrelson but he would have been too young for this much too young i he almost reminds me of like a clint howard honestly oh you know what yeah i'd say clint howard more than woody but yeah uh atkins is cutting through an alley and he's like oh oh, i didn't mean to startle you bottle looked kind of heavy i ain't got no diseases Always will, and Atkins, of course, always willing to help out a fellow alcoholic in need. Uh, but the the guy, he's become a little unhinged. He he gives a little bit of background about the factory and how, like you said, that they didn't hire any uh, local people. Brought in all his yeah. own guys. 
Yeah, which basically put all the local people out of work. They had to either, I guess, move or be homeless. Wouldn't hire an honest working man like me. And he has some big plans. He's going to get a whole bunch of Molotov cocktails and blow that place up. Oh, yeah. And he's definitely, definitely going to successfully do that. And, and he's he's yelling, it's the last Halloween for them. The last the Halloween. Last Halloween. <laughs> Not going to make any more. <laughs> <laughs> no more Halloween after this. And it's late enough now uh, that he he's drunkenly singing. Two more days till Halloween. Even, like, the anti-corporate man is singing the song. Yep. Drunkenly stumbling away singing it. I mean, it's catchy. Oh, it's so catchy. Uh, And then a couple drones follow and corner him in another junkyard. A lot of junkyards around. Well, you know, you gotta get your drone parts from somewhere. I guess so. And I suppose this is, like, Rust Belt. No, this is Northern California. I don't know. It's just... I, I guess there's just nothing to the town but junk now. <laughs> he he kind of pretty much he he, he uh, sucked everything else up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they uh, tear his head right off of his shoulders. Yeah, that's another pretty cool effect. Uh, just pulls it right off. Ugh. Yeah, this is the the gelatin fl- uh, just shivering at the bottom. Uh, very good effect. Mm. And so back at the hotel, uh, the sales lady is like waiting for Ellie to go past and honks her horn to scare her. And then she like jumps out and is like, I didn't mean to scare you. She absolutely meant to do exactly what she did. She was waiting her. for the opportunity. Uh, but she introduces herself, Marge Gutman. She, she wanted to advertise her shop to her basically and complain about the biz. <laughs> well, to be fair, it is ridiculous that you have to come to the factory to pick up your shipment of masks. I completely agree. Uh, that that, that is, does seem absurd. That is bonkers. Especially such like a huge thing with national distribution. I mean, it turns out that's because they're just not nationally distributing to the quote-unquote small business owners. But Yeah, I don't know. It feels like maybe these are people who have really high volume sales and they just can't get them shipped to them quick enough. So it's quicker for them to go to the factory themselves and get it. Something like that, maybe. It it could be. I mean, the one guy is the best salesman of these masks. Yeah. And it seems like they have to have pretty good distribution because, like, at the end, they even have speaker cars going around reminding people (laughs) to get inside and watch TV. Yeah, that's the silver silver shamrock dystopia. Yeah. Uh, So... Uh, Marge, you know, she she has her shop and she, you know, she's complaining about all of the shipping and all of that stuff. And Ellie obviously knows nothing about any of this. She's just making it up as she goes along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Atkins gets to the motel and he phones Teddy to check in. And she's like, I don't know, the, the samples are wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it's like there was no trace that there was ever a person in that car. Yeah, this is just a bunch of plastic and metal. Someone gave me the wrong stuff. I'll keep yeah. looking. And then we go back to the motel for our first night there, and it's the sex scene. You love the sex scene? You like the nipple <laughs> sucking? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see these two have sex. <laughs> the, the nipple sucking is uh, a choice. That was really something. Yeah. But it's very brief. Like, they, they do fade out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And 
next door, Marge is fiddling with the uh, trademark insignia patch thing uh, from the mask because it fell off of one. She's like, look at this cheap crap. That's what she was. One of the things she was complaining about. Uh, So she she like gets uh, an earring or something and she's poking away at it and uh, it lasers her in her face. Yeah, this is really cool because like uh, bugs just start coming out. Yeah, bugs start pouring out of the the hole in the middle of her face. And it cuts back to their room where they're having sex. And Ellie goes, what was that? And Natkin says, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's like, you're here to investigate a really strange thing that's going on. But it's like, no, no, sex first. Investigate later. Uh, it's so funny. And, uh, they, you know, they go outside a little bit later because there's a big commotion where Marge is being taken away by some toy factory drones in white coats. Yep. Uh, being taken to the factory, uh, interestingly enough. Yeah, they're saying that they have uh, great facilities. That they She'll get the best treatment at the factory. And uh, this is the first time we actually see Connell, isn't it? I believe so. Uh, He comes out of the car to uh, speak to them, and we see very briefly him talking to the drones, drones, and uh, one of them confidentially, and we can overhear it, says it was a misfire. (laughs) So then, uh, you know, the the moment is ruined, and he sleeps in the chair and she's in the bed. (laughs) (laughs) So first thing next morning, it's Saturday the 30th. We're almost to Halloween. That's wonderful. (laughs) <laughs> I wonder if we'll hear how many days it will be. Actually, uh, so, yeah, I need confirmation of that. That's true. So he calls Teddy again, first thing. And again, she's like, look, there, there's no human remains in the ashes. There, I, I, I can't figure it out. There's nothing there. Yeah. And he asks her to look into Connell Cochran for him, which is, uh, again, probably good, the thing that gets her, her killed. Because we see a speaker right next to the desk phone, which is picking it up. Yeah, the the wiretap, because Tom hasn't figured out that somehow hasn't figured out that Connell is watching everything in this town. Yeah, it's very strange. It seems like he should be aware of it. You'd think. I mean, the the drunk homeless guy basically told him so, and he's seen everybody staring at him. He's seen the cameras. Yeah, I, I, like, Come he, on, he's, dude. again, the, the sub theme of failure, he's not really taking it seriously until it's way too late. Yeah, yeah. Well, so they, I mean, I guess he still thinks this is just, I don't know, some weird town, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. He he hasn't really clued in, even though he's kind of starting to pick up on things being weird. And, I mean, he saw that guy torch himself. Yeah, I don't think he's as traumatized by that as he's uh, saying. No, I don't think so. So they go to the toy factory. And uh, the lady at the desk says that Ellie's dad, no, no, he he picked up the order right here on the 21st Yep. Uh, when we initially saw him. Or no, it was two days after we saw him. No, no, I, I mean, so, sorry, we, we saw him yeah. two days after this, rather. So I wonder right. what was happening for two days that he was being chased around. Maybe he really was running for two days. Which, That's I mean, how could it be? Because Atkins ends up there at the end, too, the same place. Well, I guess he drives for a while, and they have uh, this guy's car, so maybe he was running the whole time. I don't know how long they were driving. We'll have to yeah, think about that when we get really, there. Yeah. That they that they both end up in the same place does uh, seem like a stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the 
she calls to a delivery guy who happens to be coming through and he personally handed it to her dad. He's like, but yeah, I, I don't know where he went after that. I, I think he was heading north. Yeah. He's like, well, shit. I mean, that's that's too bad. And then Buddy and his family show up because they're going to do a tour. He's the biggest seller in the country. <laughs> oh, we got the golden ticket. Yep. And uh, uh, Cochran shows up and uh, Buddy is like, you know, bring bring our friends along on the tour. Uh, what are your names again? And they, they <laughs> say they're Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Very convincing. Oh, yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Smith just asking about our dad's package, our dad who is uh, someone who is known by all you guys. But, you know, we are Smith. Yeah. And he tells them, your friend Marge has been flown to Seattle and will be getting the best of care. And I'm going to give you a free mask shipment to make up for the lost one. And everyone's applauding. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, because, oh, you know, you, <laughs> he's got everybody like it's a really good, whimsical businessman act. He's so good. So they go on the tour. We see the mask workshop, which probably is just the real mask workshop from the movie. I would have to imagine. It's it's crazy to think that they hand make all these masks and they're not yeah. like they're not really like mass produced by machine. Well, I mean, they're mass produced by machines because robots. But <laughs> I mean, in reality, I mean, the though. people who made the movie weren't. Yeah. Uh, and we we find that Cochrane collects clockwork automatons. It's the whole thing. He has this cool novelty museum. <laughs> yeah. And Buddy is given a bit of his history that he's well known as a major inventor of classic pranks like sticky toilet paper, the dwarf gag, the soft chainsaw. <laughs> I love these names that just invoke so much of an image, but not a complete image. So you're just kind of like, huh. I mean, How sticky toilet work? paper, sticky toilet oh, paper. Yeah. I read that completely. Yeah, that, that one works. I get that one. Oh, for the sure. Dwarf gag? Hmm. <laughs> no, the dwarf gag is just vague enough that your imagination can run wild with it. Soft chainsaw. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> How does that work? I feel like. <laughs> like, I'm just imagining you like. You go to like somebody's uh, logging camp and just replace all their chainsaw, chainsaws with soft chainsaws as a prank. Yes. I don't know. Well, like you, you go how would after you people with it? This? How would it look? How is it going to even look remotely real? I don't know. But well, it's, you know, the the blades are made of foam, but otherwise it's got to function perfectly, or it's not going to work. It's got to do the. I guess. So they they're not allowed in to see the secret final process secrets you know how it is it involves volatile chemicals <laughs> well, actually, what yeah, volatile you know, chemicals would you be using after manufacturing these masks i don't know paint fumes i guess uh, you could have just said that and <laughs> i suppose and would, i don't know what you find so fascinating about my magical closet of forbidden mystery i i like that mrs cupfer talking to ellie sort of views Cochran as like an aspirational figure because, you know, he built this fortune selling novelty gags. We could be just like him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, it, it just, it, it feels uh, like political commentary in, in, in like the present day of, of her. It's like, Oh, I mean, look, you know, he made all this money being a, a thieving bandit. We, we, we could probably do that. 
Oh, yeah, the whole thing, how everybody thinks they're just a temporarily disenfranchised billionaire. Yeah, you know, we, we, we just need to follow these rich people and they'll lead us the way to the riches. It's, it's like uh, yes. dog logic. Come, come with us, share in our wealth. We billionaires love to share our wealth and welcome other people <laughs> to join us as fellow billionaires. We love that. So back out, out back in the loading docks area. Uh, this is where we get that cool shot where all of the drone guards are looming on, like, the rooftops and in doorways and alleys. Yeah, standing perfectly still, like, creepy 80 version, 80s versions of, like, the Buckingham Palace guards. And Atkins is like, maybe we should go. <laughs> <laughs> and cause he, he says, like, all these guys, they look like the dude who killed your dad, which is disconcerting. All of them do. Yeah. And Ellie spots her dad's car in a garage. And she's dumb about it. She yeah. just runs right over. She's like, oh, my God, it's my dad's car. And she runs over there. And, like, remember how you, I don't know. <laughs> you, <laughs> remember how you're supposed to be... to be someone named Smith? Yeah. Uh, and some drones rush in to block her immediately. Oh, yeah. This is really cool. They just, they don't say anything. They just come out of the woodwork and just stand in front. And Cochran says to Buddy, trade secrets <laughs> <laughs> and buddy just nods like oh like, yeah oh, no, definitely yeah. Um, i get that it. explains why your goons are preventing this lady from getting out of car I'm like oh a rich person's talking nod nod correct definitely <laughs> yeah that too so they go back to the hotel the motel and they pack to leave it's like okay this is fucked up let's get out of here uh we yeah. we know that they had his dad here because the car is there something's messed up let's Get a hold of the police. Mm -hmm. He goes to the office to call the police. And it says, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Uh, yeah, it's it's almost like Cochran might be like a step ahead of him somehow. Just a little bit. And on the office TV, the jingle plays. It happens to be one more day till Halloween. This is the sixth play. It's been so a while not, since we've heard it. Yeah, and that's not very many. I mean, arguably, it's the seventh if we count the drunk guy singing it. But yeah, not a lot. And then I guess we'd also have to count the kids singing it. Yeah, eight, no, that doesn't count. So he goes back to the room, and Ellie is gone. It's like, shit, this guy's really far ahead of me. Sorry. It's like, shit, this guy's really far ahead of me. Come on. <laughs> yeah, wow. He, yeah, he like runs back. It's like, oh my god, she's in trouble. Oh, gone. Well, fuck. And he goes, he steps outside and there's five drones just standing in a line looking like a new wave band. <laughs> so he runs. He, he just runs for the factory. Now he's, now he's got to get his acts together. Finally. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got to just go into hero mode. Uh, he does happen to see Ellie being taken into uh, a garage in the factory by four drones in a car. And he finds a window that he can sneak in. Uh, but first, when he gets in, he's very easily fooled by a very <laughs> old automaton. Like one that's 300 years old. For real, I couldn't. Uh, I, I love the, uh, that this thing was made in 1795, supposedly. Mm. And like, yeah, he, he, he gets scared and he shakes it and the head just falls off. <laughs> Where's the girl? <laughs> Shaking it. <laughs> And its head falls off and he goes, ah, <laughs> it's, you know, it's just a knitting automaton. Why would he think that this random knitting old lady, like 
would know where the girl is. Yeah, I, I don't really. <laughs> why is there just some random old lady knitting in a weird room in a factory? Like, clue in, dude. He's not thinking. <laughs> he well, really he's probably drunk. He might be a little drunk, and he's kind of just running on pure adrenaline. Yeah, at this point, that's that's fair. So a drone grabs him. He has a whole battle with it, and he punches into its guts, and baby food comes out of its mouth. Like, he, he pulls wires out, and his fist comes away coated in just, like, baby food pure, pur, baby food puree. Kind of gross in the way that the alien androids are kind of gross, because most robots just have robot stuff. No, like, fluid androids gross me out. I don't know why. Yeah, it's, like, powered by applesauce, like RoboCop. <laughs> uh, so... Another one shows up, attacks him from behind. You know, their their power is they are a horde. And Cochrane shows up. <laughs> he, he's so upset about like about how he uh, knocked off the head off the one thing. He's like, this is going to be so hard to replace. Yeah, like you know, this is seven, made in 1795. It's very rare. What did you think you were doing? Aha, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, Doctor Doctor Daniel Ch- Chalice. Mr. Chalice, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Daniel Chalice. And like, oh, yeah, you you were always way ahead of me, right? Of course. I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, it's Mr. Smith. And it cuts to the next day, finally. Sunday the 31st. It is Halloween. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we, we only get it in ads. <laughs> yes. We, <laughs> Which I uh, think is also not appearing score. Well, it does appear. It just appears in TV ads for oh, yeah. Halloween, the first one. Uh, so Atkins is taken to the final processing room to finally reveal Stonehenge. This is where it's been. Yep. Uh, I love this bit. He just takes him down the elevator and he just starts he just starts telling him about the robots. And Yeah, I, I it's a weirdly fun exposition dump because of just how engaging this character is. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like. A good magician never explains. You've still got time to figure it out all by yourself. <laughs> and like, we had a time getting it here. You wouldn't believe how we did it. You wouldn't believe how we did it. And that's it. That is the end of the explanation. Yeah, he's he walking away from it. Edge. He's got another thing to look at. So the thing with the masks, every single one of them has just a tiny molecule, just a flake of Stonehenge. And that's what powers them. Because Stonehenge is magical rocks, of course. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, and he, he also shows that there's a monitor to show that Ellie has been strapped to a table somewhere. And uh, Marge is dead. He, he shows that she's in a morgue. Yeah. And it's time for a little demonstration with the cupfers. <laughs> I, I, love, I love this scene. They, they, they put the cupfers in like this bunker. Yeah, because they, they're going to watch the final ad, and it's very hush-hush, real secret. Yeah, it's like focus testing, and they, 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 they're like, oh my god, I can't wait to see this new ad. That's the same old shit. Yeah, it is number seven, lucky number seven, seventh time we've heard it. Uh, it's uh, a little buddy puts on the pumpkin mask, and the, the narrator goes, watch the magic pumpkin, watch. And it, it flashes, you know, like those uh, Pokemon uh, Pokemon episodes that gave people epileptic fits. Oh, yeah, right. Those, yes. I, it did kind of make me wonder if, 
this is like a seizure inducing thing to some people. It could be. It's very strobey. So Buddy's head turns into, or little Buddy, his head turns into a bunch of bugs and snakes. They just yeah, pour the, out the of it. that, like, the pumpkin head. Oh, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, like, it, it looks like a rotted pumpkin. It's so and, good. And bugs and snakes just start coming out of, like, the mouth hole. And you can just, like, sort of see in there that he is dead and there's tons of bugs and snakes coming out. And the, the snakes attack and kill the parents. <laughs> And and Atkins is just watching it. Yeah, I mean, this is the big plan. This is going to happen all over the country. And Connell's on his face, he looks like so just disgusted that Atkins doesn't think it's funny. Yeah, he doesn't get it. Don't you get the joke? It's the best kind of joke. A trick for the children. So this is maybe my favorite bit in the movie is their Halloween montage. Oh, yeah. All across the country, just... Kids trick-or-treating everywhere. All in silver shamrock masks. Yeah, every single one of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's established complete market dominance, which I don't know if it would have been harder or easier to do in the 80s. I don't know, because I, I do feel like there's more now, but like I, I also feel like people are more into home-brewing their costumes. I, uh, I, it it seemed like less of a thing then, although I was home-brewing my own costumes as a kid, too, so I don't know. I never but, did. I always had the uh, the plastic Ninja Turtles mask, and then, like, a, a, a poncho that had that didn't look like a Ninja Turtle, but rather it had a picture of the Ninja Turtles right. on it that yeah, I those wore over my winter jacket. See, I, I did a lot of, like, home-brewing ones. I... I I sort of made my own costumes most of the time, although I did have proper Jason mask and I did have a Freddy mask. They're both pretty great. And I do remember one year doing the Freddy mask and then the Jason mask over it. Yeah. (laughs) Nice, nice. So anyway, just kids trick-or-treating all over the country. I would have loved to get the Michael Myers mask, but even the people who make the movies couldn't get the Michael Myers mask. That's true, although they sort of have it in later ones, sort of. I mean, it's it's a Shatner mask. Yeah. So the, the whole the, the whole time they're playing it, the happy, happy Halloween jingle is playing. It's it, it's the day of Halloween. This is our eighth play. I really love the there's there's two specific shots, uh, like the ones that close the montage, the L.A. shot where you have a bunch of kids on a ridge at dusk. And then, oh, yeah. But like you can see like the, the smog of it in the sky yeah you see the smog hanging over la and the phoenix are it's la the phoenix well you can kind of recognize la the phoenix arizona one uh also showing up a little bit later uh similar but a little bit darker because you know it's showing them progressively darker Mm -hmm. and this is where we see that they have speaker vans just driving around telling kids (laughs) go home for the giveaway yeah oh man yeah that's Oh, of course. And that's why people are going to change channels, because it's not just something you're going to watch. It's a giveaway. You could win a prize of some kind. There's a contest. Yeah, to win who even knows what. I don't think it's specified what it's supposed to be, because it doesn't matter. We do see that Atkins kids are glued to their set. Yep. Uh, Teddy tries to call the motel, but she is attacked by a drone with a power drill. Yeah, she found out that, like... There was like, like this weird clockwork piece that's definitely not part of a car. Yeah, she's trying to figure out what's going on. With, like, she she's starting to put two and two together that maybe it's these weird clockwork things. Uh, but 
you know, I don't drone think gets she was her. close to figuring out that it was robots. I think she had a few more days of uh, maybe. Yeah, before she got to that point. But she was put piecing something together. Like you could see that there was a thing in mind that like mm-hmm. something nagging at her. But you know, uh, she gets power drilled through the head. Yeah, yeah, she does. And then back at the factory, we see Atkins tied to a chair in front of a TV with a mask. Yep. Uh, and so this is the explanation. This is the villain explanation, which is the best. <laughs> so good. Do I need a reason? He says, why? He's like, I love a good joke. This is the best ever. A joke on the children. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes into like this whole thing about how like. Well, it's like you don't really know much about it. Halloween. Uh, it's it's a put. Uh, it, it's like put Christ back in Christmas, but it's put Druid ritual and sacrifice back in Halloween. But also like mass produce it to the level that like like Christmas. I yeah. I do think it's this is a bit that is a satire on Christmas. I like I think this is doing the Halloween thing of the put Christ back in Christmas because that was a pretty fresh movement in the eighties. It's interesting because when I first watched this the first time, I was like, this feels like the Christmas movie of Halloween movies, but I couldn't articulate why. Yeah, because it's really Halloween-y. Mm-hmm. It's about the traditions of Halloween. Mm-hmm. So he says, the barriers might be down between the real and the unreal, and the dead might be looking in. <laughs> so he says, it's time again for blood sacrifice. It's what what you need for proper witchcraft. Yeah, uh, don't know why it's like this but the stars have determined that this is what we're doing now so here we are that's uh, just how it's going to be so he puts a skull mask on him and he turns on john carpenter's halloween for him to watch <laughs> and when it's over he will die yeah so it's 7:50. now we have a digital clock to tell us uh, how much closer we are to it although it's not really clear when it's over i think it's early in the movie at this point uh, I think so, yeah. Because the movie's over at, like, nine or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Atkins manages to break the TV with his feet. He he kicks it in, and he manages to cut his restraints with the glass. Mm-hmm. I like this, the, a really subtle bit, when he puts the skull mask, he throws it over the camera. Oh, and yeah. And when, when we cut to the control room, it looks like the opening POV shot of Michael Myers, POV through the mask. On the camera. Oh. You notice that? Kind of, but like I didn't I didn't piece it together that that's what it was kind of referencing. Like I, I did notice so. it. <laughs> you can kind of see the holes of the mask a little bit. Yeah. So he, yeah, he no, gets I out of. make that connection. Yeah. So it's, it's 8-11. It took him 20 minutes to get out of the chair. And he escapes out through an air duct. Uh, and. Sorry, go ahead. I, I feel like. I feel like maybe because he, he can't escape through air ducts. I feel like normally anyways, but I feel like uh, the air duct is part of a prank to, you know, give him false hope. But then he ends up kind of winning. So I don't know. I don't think he really ends up winning, but I don't know. Uh, either way, I, I really like how one of the drones realizes something's up pretty quick because <laughs> yes, looking there at the but one of the broadcast executives of some local affiliate has Cochrane on the phone and won't shut up. <laughs> and he's just waiting and waiting. Well, cause he waiting. can't, he can't act independently. Yeah. You know, he's, a, he is a drone. Yeah, I know. He has to get his boss's permission before he can do anything. Yeah. So he has to wait. Yeah. So 
At- Atkins gets to the warehouse and he calls his ex-wife. He he tells her to get rid of the masks, but she says, you're drunk. And she hangs up on him. <laughs> she she thinks he's jealous because she bought the kids better masks than him. Yeah. And she might be right. He and actually I, he's probably sober at this point. He's spent a lot of time tied up. Yeah, but, you know, maybe he after maybe before going into the air duct, we just didn't see it. He's he snuck in a few sips. Well, I don't think he has any. So he, he, he manages he manages to find Ellie or the the room that Ellie was tied up in. Yeah. And uh, Cochran sees uh, on the you know monitors showing that room that they're there. So he sends drones after them and it's mm-hmm. 826. So we're pretty tight time wise. Got 34 minutes. Seems like a lot of time, but it's not. It's really not much time. They're it's actually pretty far from anything. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, I guess. No, no, it's. They have yeah, to get to another I, town to do anything. Yeah, I guess it feels like a lot of time in terms of if you're comparing the 34 minutes to an hour and 20 minute movie. But we're not 34 minutes from the end of the movie. We're like 10 minutes. Yeah, no, it's not real time. Yeah. So. He, he he grabs a box of the trademark discs, like the, the discs that have the, the little flake in it. <laughs> and I love that these are kept in the room with the um, where the, the thing is going to be played. They aren't. He, he's in the warehouse and then he oh, goes right. and no, finds up to the rafters. No. Yeah. So he, he he gets a box of them from the warehouse and he goes in there. He, he climbs up to the rafters and I have no idea how he manages to do this, but. He is somehow able to key in a sequence in the computer to play the commercial on all monitors and stop everyone else from changing it. Yeah, he just, you know, he just he knows how to operate these things. It's uh, you learn it in doctor school. Yeah, somehow he just knows. Uh, so, yeah, ninth playing. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, <laughs> Halloween. Uh, and he's he's up in the rafters and he drops all of the discs. He just sort of pours them down and they laser blast the shit out of all the drones. So they're all just <laughs> firing like crazy because the, the, the thing's going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Connell's just looking up at him and smiling. He's like annoyed, but he's also a little impressed. He's like, I can't believe you managed this. You son of a bitch <laughs> i love the bit he just he looks at them and he just claps yeah so the monitors all start glowing and it's this pulsing blue arc that turns into a circle like uh, the the monitors are in a circle and it yeah. uh, is spinning and stonehenge starts glowing too and cochran is right in between them <laughs> yep so i i don't really get exactly what happens but like there, there's a pulse of energy that zaps between Stonehenge and the ring and him, and he gets zapped in between, and he, like, turns to crystal. Yeah, it's weird. He, he like, think he'd turn into bugs. Yeah, he, well, I, he, he just takes the full energy of it. Like, he overloads. He turns into a being of light because he just vanishes. He mm-hmm. Like, he's maybe disintegrated or he yeah. ascends. I don't know. Uh, but then the stone, gone. the stone explodes. <laughs> <laughs> Explode. Stone, Stonehenge is a giant explosive. And we see Atkins and Ellie running away from the burning factory. But driving away, Ellie attacks him suddenly. She has been replaced by an automaton in the many hours she was strapped to a table in the robot factory. How, how could he have guessed? Yeah, so 
Yeah, so the real one's just dead, probably, off screen. Or, you know, this is the real one, but now, you know, she's, never, she's a robot. I don't know. What if there never was a real one and it was always a robot? Mm, I don't buy I don't, it. I don't buy it either because she was... That doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't work at all, but fun to think about. So the car crashes, of course. He yeah. manages to fight her off. He knocks her head off with a tire iron. I love this part because she keeps coming at him. Because, yeah, he, he gets her, uh, like, he gets back in the car and, like, her arm that was torn off and is still clutching the door comes in after him and, like, tries to strangle him. <laughs> Very Evil Dead. It's so Evil Dead. Which and is funny because he... this is the same year as Evil Dead. Oh, shit. I thought it would have, oh, yeah, 82, I guess. Yeah, I think they're both 82. Maybe Evil Dead is 81. Could be. I could be misremembering. That's it. Yeah, I'm not sure. But it definitely has the Evil Dead feel right here. Yeah. I, I would, This time, I just, I couldn't stop laughing this whole scene. Well, yeah, because the, the headless body comes after him again and still. <laughs> she just keeps getting up. And finally, he just runs. He he runs and he ends up at the gas station slash junkyard from the beginning. Uh, and the jingle's playing on the TV. Number 10. So, oh, I guess 10 is what we get. Well, really th- depends, because it, it's either 10 or it's 12, because he switches to different channels to hear it playing multiple times. Yeah, I think it's one jingle instance across three channels. So he, he's calling the broadcast uh, station somehow, and he's arguing somehow. on the phone. Like, take it off the air, take it off the air. Somehow he's convinced them to li- two of them to listen to him. Yeah, they, they interrupt the first broadcast, and some kids come by the garage trick-or-treating. One of them's in the witch mask, changes the channel, <laughs> <laughs> and it's playing there. Uh, but the it gets channel. shut off pretty quickly. Oh, no, the second channel. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so second channel, and then the kid changes it again, uh, and the jingle's playing, and it just keeps playing. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, Atkins, the third commercial's still playing. Turn it off, please stop it! For God's sake, stop, stop it, stop it, it, stop, stop it, it, stop it! Stop it. it. <laughs> Looks at the camera and goes, "Stop it!" Yeah, it freeze frames on him screaming, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" <laughs> <laughs> no more last Halloween. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Best. Uh... So, so what do you think? The best uh, instance of somebody screaming stop it at the camera at the very end of the movie. This or Ladybug, Ladybug? Oh, tough call. Because they're, they're very different. Because that one's so raw. And this one is kind of hilarious when, when you kind of get the context of it being, please stop making these. No more. <laughs> yeah, they, stupid. They, they, both, they both hit really hard, but completely differently. Yeah, both really great. I love this movie. I, I, I get why it's kind of a tougher sell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big buy-in. Mm-hmm, but, uh, man, I, I adored it. It's so uh, much even, fun. Even more so this time. Hurley, he's brilliant. That's a big, big part of it. How funny Hurley he is. Just the warmth he brings to the villain in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. I mean, like I said before, he just brightens up the screen every time he's on screen. He, he's a total delight. Uh, you, you may also remember him from Last Starfighter. Oh, who was he in that? He's uh, the, the buddy. Like, he, he's oh, the friend. The, the uh, alien buddy? Grig, yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't he's, realize. 
Yeah, he's the buddy alien, which is a movie that's also very like Carpenter associated because that's directed by Nick Castle, who played the shape in the first one. Uh, the Last Starfighters in Halloween 2 as one of the uh, hospital attendants. Oh, cool. He has a crush on Lori. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He falls on a pool of blood and gets knocked out. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, but yeah, this one, I really love this one. It's absolutely still my second favorite of the whole series. Obviously, the first one is unreachable oh but yeah no for sure but this I, I agree with second favorite on for this one it's so good it's so weird it's so unique there's just nothing else like it mm-hmm. and it's uh, like the first one this is another one that just feels like it's not just about a thing but it feels like it's about halloween itself yeah it's like super- it burns the title of halloween it's very halloween it's ridiculously halloween it's like Put tricks back in Halloween. Put sacrifice back in Halloween. Yeah. Make Halloween spooky again. (laughs) We got our uh, pagan Willy Wonka. Yep. Uh, Hurley is amazing. Like, Hurley and Atkins both really make this movie. I feel like those are the totally key performances. And if neither of them were there, I don't know if the movie would work all that great. I, I don't think you could replace them with anybody. The energy of Atkins is so perfect for Dr. Dan and Connell Cochran is just pitch perfect. Oh, that's great. Love it. One of the all time, like a, a top tier movie villain. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, he's extremely successful. Presumably he killed like a significant proportion of America at the end of this film. Well, theoretically, at least a third of all children. Uh, possibly more because people, you know, could just change the channel from the ones that weren't playing the thing. They I would have get to on that giveaway. Yeah, I would have to figure a lot of people are just changing to that third channel. And then how many of the parents are getting <laughs> killed by the snakes that come out? Probably very many. You know, that, that's the whole plan. Connell Cochran, very successful villain, like one of the big success stories. He and uh, Tommy Lee Wallace mentions in the horror horrors hallowed halls thing that the whole Santa Mira. Uh, and body snatchers thing this uh the the villain succeeding at the end was really key to why you know it being a tribute to santamir and stuff is because uh it being the 50s with the original one they weren't allowed to do the dark ending that they wanted to do so he's like this time we're just going to do the dark ending and they're not going to be saved they they did the dark ending in the 70s one though yes they did but in the 50s one, they couldn't. They they had to oh. do a little thing where, like, we, we've we managed to stop it. And <laughs> we'll tag oh, on at the man. end. Duke's come on. Duke's gone into a coma. Uh, <laughs> and it turns out Duke's going to be fine. No, no, no. Yeah. But yeah, th- this is such a great movie. I absolutely oh, love it. Definitely. Uh, if, you're, if you're somebody who has, like, your Halloween classics that you got to watch every year, I strongly recommend adding this to your rotation. It's super Halloween-y. It's got so much Halloween atmosphere in it because it's just living in the whole week leading up to Halloween, feeling all of the advertising of Halloween, looking a lot of people going out trick-or-treating uh, and, and just like it's it's that carpenter atmosphere that's you know generated by both the music and the production values. Mm-hmm. It's Dean Cundy, same guy who shot the first two. Oh, cool. Right on. So, any last thoughts before we move on to part two? Um, no, I think we've covered it. This movie rules. It rocks. 
And we're back for part two, where we're talking about another uh, misbegotten horror film of the 80s. Not <laughs> super well-loved, 1986's Spookies, directed by... Oh, boy. <laughs> so Depends who you ask. <laughs> so initially, as Twisted Soul, directed by Bren Brendan Faulkner and Thomas Doran, and then uh, they were fired and... Additional sequences directed by Eugenie Joseph. Yeah, the story of this movie is about as is, is at least as interesting as the movie itself. And there is a documentary about the making of Spookies, or as they call it, the unmaking of Spookies, uh, on the disc, which I watched too because I had to see how did this thing happen. It is a really interesting documentary, although. So bitter. So, so very bitter. Uh, oh, very. Oh, my God. Like, by the end, of, like, the first half is all like, oh, man, this is neat. Here's how they did this and that. And by the second half, I was like, Jesus Christ, you guys, I'm sorry this happened, but get over it. It's still a silly movie. Like, it's weird because the movie they were making was obviously a silly movie. And then the end product is a silly horror movie. It's just not the silly horror movie that they wanted it to be. And they, they've they kind of built it up to be a tragedy. But yeah, honestly, like, like... I, I feel like the original movie probably would have been maybe better overall, like more even of a movie. I don't know if it would have been as entertaining, though. Right. It's it's this movie's weirdness. It's roughness around the edges. It's absurdities the the funky way it's put together that gives it its character and that's something that you know if it were just the kind of uh evil dead ripoff that it looks like it was going to be initially i mean it would have just been another evil dead knockoff there's a lot of those yeah you you can't you can't dethrone evil dead by making another evil dead you, ha you have to do something different yeah i mean and they I, didn't I mean, it certainly disrespected their vision, and I guess probably for a lot of them, these are people who it was their first experience in Hollywood or maybe their only experience in Hollywood. And yeah, it's a negative experience because the movie they wanted to make, the movie they were intending to make, ended up only being sort of a fragment of this weird larger movie that this oddball producer made. Yeah, but like then you have people in documentary saying that the producer needs to burn in hell, and I'm like, that's a little it's a, extreme. It's a little bit much. Uh, yeah, they it's it, it's a little bit built up. I and I, I guess the problem with the documentary is that it's very one sided. You only have people who were involved in the first part of the production, other than that one sound guy who admits he's the one who came up with the the farting. <laughs> oh man, going back to that scene. Uh, after seeing the documentary, the farting is brilliant. It's funny. I, I know it's not <laughs> what they intended and it's kind of disrespectful in a sort of way, but it's not it, like it was supposed to be a scary scene. And I could see this scene maybe being cut together in a spookier atmospheric way, but not in the movie that exists. Yeah, no, the, the farting is perfect for the movie that it's in. For Spookies, the farting is the right choice. For Twisted Soul, it may not have been. Like, ultimately, in the movie that they ended up making, the farting is correct. Mm -hmm. And that's... that seems to be, like, their biggest sticking point. They really, really all hated a lot. Oh, they... At, 
and they didn't like that people seemed to like the movie. No, they 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 they're very sour. Like it's it's very it's it's an unusually bitter one of these. Yeah. Because uh, like in comparison to best worst movie for Troll Two, they're so positive about their movie. They they love how much everybody loves their crap movie. Mm-hmm. By the end of this movie, or at the end of the documentary, I was like feeling like, oh my god, I instinctively want to defend this movie now <laughs> against the people who made it. It's like, strange. no, this is good, you guys. It, it's strange because it's such a fun, weird thing that ultimately generated. And I think I, it, it's it's what makes me wish the documentary was a little less one-sided in that regard, because I kind of want to get some more perspective from the people involved in the later production, just because they did seem to have kind of a different vision. And he was the guy putting up all the money, so it was going to be his vision ultimately one way or the other. And they, you know, they quibbled with the script at the beginning, and he made all these changes that they didn't want him to make. It's like, he's the one putting up the money. You're going to be making his movie whether you like it or not. Yeah, no, how it works is you make the Money Guys movie first, you earn the name for yourself, and then you make your movie. Yeah. At least that's my understanding. I mean, basically. you, You can do different things with independent movies. Sometimes you don't have producers who are all that hands-on, but this guy's really hands-on. Oh, he was very hands-on. He had, he had ideas. Um, well, and key to it is that he was a video nasties guy. Like he was one of, he, he owned Vipco uh, and was one of the big distributors in Britain of the video nasties VHS tapes. Oh, so, so he was distributing the, like the band ones. Well, he was distributing VHS tapes and focusing on horror and focusing on sensational stuff. And uh, a lot of the stuff that he was putting out was getting banned as video nasties. Oh, oh, it was getting banned. So that kind of guided a lot of how he wanted them to cut up the script and the things he wanted in it, the things he didn't want in it. And I think why ultimately it ends up kind of a goofy kids movie. Oh, that okay. That makes more sense because the way they said like he was a video nasties guy kind of made it sound like he wanted to make something that would go on the list, but no. no now it makes sense. Like he's trying to not go on the video la- nasties list so that people will actually be able to watch the movie. That makes more sense and that's more consistent with what we ended up getting. Well, both that and that he wants to make something that's going to be really sensational and kind of poke at a lot of the video nasties stuff it's all very video nasties adjacent but he's like i know how to get all this stuff passed we're not going to have anything that's going to be too risque and that's why initially he's like zombies we probably shouldn't do Uh, you you guys like (laughs) i don't want you doing zombies because that's always cannibal stuff and he knows when he does it it's just going to be a bunch of people in crappy makeup as zombies and that's all it's going to (laughs) be blue paint that's like already mostly washed off by the time it's time to shoot like, Our Lady from Censor definitely passes this uncut. Oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. The, the final cut of Spookies, it's fine. You know, the kids can watch that. It's it's okay. Yeah, which is interesting because, like, this has the trappings of a horror movie. You see the girl, like, the one girl is like, oh, I'm sure I'm going to see her boobs before this is over. But you don't. Yeah, well, that's also the weird thing is most of the people involved in this seem to have been childhood friends. So, like, they know know each other all the way going back to high school. So it's weird. And, and it's a very personal project for a bunch of people who've known each other forever and kind of grew up dreaming of making it. So I yeah. think that's probably what drives a lot of, like, the really intense frustration and bitterness of it. 
oh, because they could have been holding on to this idea for this movie for like for years and years, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, this was the movie that they were all making and they're all friends and they all like know each other and they're tight. So this one dude who comes in and just he makes his movie out of their movie. I, I get why they're upset about it. It's just it, it's too bad that none of them have been able to kind of get into the fan scene the way, you know, the the people from Troll 2 have where it's like they'll be welcomed everyone's like yeah. yeah we love this movie we'll love you guys it's it's just and they'll yeah, sympathize like, with them there you know but oh yeah they never seem to come around to uh because they don't want people liking the movie yeah <laughs> it's like you know if you like spookies you you like this thing that ruined their movie it's that's, that's tough it does kind of feel like that's how they feel it, it feels like if maybe uh, a version of Best Worst Movie had been done by an outsider like a decade earlier before the fan community really built up under it and like went and talked to them all about how they felt about being in that weird production. And maybe most of them wouldn't have been quite so jazzed about it. That's perhaps because I don't know that as much of a cult has built up about Spook. It maybe has now, but. A few years ago when this came out on Blue from Vinegar Syndrome, which is the one we're watching, of course, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was really only known from being on Red Letter Media, where they describe it as boring Evil Dead. <laughs> I don't even want to call it boring. It, it's I don't find it boring. Well, yeah, that that's their thing is there. I think it ended up being a best of the worst because they're like the creature effects, though, are incredible. And there's so many of them and they're so inventive. I should say the creature effects are incredible. Most of the time, <laughs> the creature effects from the original production are all pretty great. <laughs> yeah. So that's the interesting thing. Like this movie basically got made twice. Like it's it's two different movies spliced together because when the producer took the project away from the guys, none of them refused to come back and help finish it. They they wouldn't even like all tell them where the props are. Yeah. Or sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. All of yeah. them refused. None yeah. of them came back. Well, so that's another thing is they're all very upset about the the state of the final movie. And it's like, well, you guys didn't come back and were unwilling to even participate in any of the reshoots. So it's going to get a lot further from your vision if you're not even willing to be present for it. But I get why they wouldn't be, because like it sounded like it was a really problematic shoot uh, the first time around. Like, yeah. People arguing all the time with this with the producer guy. It seems like it was just a drama from day one, uh, a whole cursed production. But uh, it, it's just if if none of them are involved, they're going to have to expect that the end product is going to be further and further from what they had envisioned. <laughs> and it gets pretty far from it because all this other stuff where it's nobody we've ever seen, it's not in the same location, it doesn't have any of the same props, and it's just a t- completely different tone uh, and it's yeah. it's just weird. Yeah, yeah. And like when they finally watched the final product, I think they even discussed it. And they were saying, "Are any of these shots cut together the way you wanted it done?" He's like, "Not <laughs> like, a no. single one." Not once. And it is very. The creature effects are wonderful, and the editing is all over the place. But I think it it's works rough. to the movie's benefit. Yeah, I mean, it it feels very janky, and it's a movie that kind of ultimately benefits from the jankiness because there's just it's throwing so much at you all the time it's just a constant stream of weird nonsense that's strangely kid-friendly 
more yeah. kid friendly than say uh the peanut butter solution remember that one <laughs> uh, the, vaguely the, the canadian movie with the kid who uh gets scared by a ghost and loses all his hair and then uh he gets the right. hair growth formula from the ghost that uses the peanut butter but he uses too much peanut butter so his hair keeps growing and then he gets abducted by uh, a guy who runs a paintbrush factory right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no this is uh like this is less haunting effects. than that. <laughs> yeah, no, the, I mean, like, the creature effects are great, but the gore effects are not. <laughs> like, yeah. like they're not gory. Yeah, no, it's it's very mild. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, I think the goriest thing that happens to a human is the one guy getting deflated, which is just <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> that is that is really great. That one's hilarious. And and that is an amazing creature effect too, the spider woman. Oh yeah, the spider woman. Insane. Mm-hmm. Well, Arguably uh, the most impressive in the film. I, I agree. Although the the electric tentacle zombie thing was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the men men looked good. Yeah, I, I like well, the muck men. I really like the whole muck men scene. I have no notes on the muck men scene. No, it's kind of perfect. I mean. The, they filled a basement with mud and then buried these guys in it and then had them come up in these crazy mud costumes and they're farting all over the place. Uh, yeah, because the, gonna... you know, the, the folds of muck make fart sounds. And it, it, like, it tracks. It never sounds like they're supposed to be farting. It's just, it's a, it's a another sound gag in the movie that's already a crazy thing. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't even recognize it as farting sounds until I heard it, and then it was all I could hear. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's it's muck noises, settling muck as they move around. Mm-hmm. So we start out with... Uh, we start out with maybe one of the worst effects in the whole movie, and that's the pulsing coffin. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I love that, actually. It, it uh, looks no, like... It's a beautiful, silly effect. It, it it's like uh it's it's a crypt it's the lid of a crypt and uh it, it's pulsing but it's like I don't know it's it's some um, some kind of stretchy material it's clearly just being pushed from below yeah yeah and yeah yeah like the the lid of the crypt is made of like some kind of like soft I don't know rubber or something yeah like a foam rubber thing it's not bad uh it's it's very fakey but. Immediately, it it sets the tone for the way this movie is going to be surrealist in its kind of Halloween-y nonsense. This is just a a complete onslaught of Halloween nonsense. Like, these are two really good movies to pair pair together because they're both super Halloween-y. And they're both just full of complete nonsense. (laughs) Um, it's, It's just interesting that they chose to start the movie with this because... Uh, because for the rest of the movie, until the really good effects start happening, I'm just expecting crappy effects. It's like, okay, we're gonna have like crappy monsters. I'm I'm like strapped in for crappy monsters. So then when a good monster shows up, it's like, holy fuck. Yeah, yeah, it uh, makes you expect less, and then you're given more. Yes, uh, and this is also foreshadowing. Is this is also the last shot of the movie? It is. It is, and. When you consider the circumstances uh, story-wise behind this shot and what happens at the end, having the shot at the beginning of the movie makes no sense, but that's okay. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't make any sense, but it's a cool shot. <laughs> it's fun. It sure is. 
sp- speaking of things that have you maybe not expecting good creature effects, we cut to our man, our evil guy in the chair. Creon. Creon, who uh, looks like he, he's got like some weird makeup thing going on, but I can't really tell what they were going for. It's it's like it's it's sort of an undead guy. He he's clearly a very old, ancient crone of some sort, and he kind of seems maybe vaguely vampiric because he's got like the the powdery white face and then like the really uh, black lips and like dark oh, rings around his eyes. Powdery white. Okay, it just like it really do, did look like they just caked a bunch of powder on his face. Well, and it's shot so much differently from everything in the house, like everything else in the house, technically, I guess, if we want to consider it the same house. Uh, But all of the Creon stuff, it's shot in a really different way from anything else. So, like, it's really dark toned. He's in, like, this orangey basement. Yeah, or at least I assume he's in a basement, but we find out later that uh, when the when his bride Isabel escapes, she's coming out of the second story window. But you know, the editing of this is a hack job. So yeah, well, like you know, there it's it's a couple different things fitting together. It, nothing does fit together very well. That nope. that's the the big thing is the way things cut together. It's like I don't feel like these moments add up together. Like I get how they would add together. Like your mind is able to do the details, but it's really inelegant every time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he is our villain. He is explaining that he, he will explain that he is always in charge of everyone and ahead of everything. And anything that anyone does is all by his design. Cause and it's he a has chess, chess game. Board. Yeah. yeah. And he has a chess board that he's playing first against nobody. And then second against his son, maybe but i i don't know it's it's weird he's he's just he's in charge he's making all the shit happen yeah, he's, uh, he's got after the fact he, he's got his little ghost boy uh in the he, he looks like a jawa and he's got a blue face and he appears in various places in the movie uh there there's like they they tie him into the other movie with <laughs> the the guy having the line Oh, what is this a closet for midget ghosts? And they show him in the little tiny closet. And then that's when he becomes a character in the movie. <laughs> yeah, which which is funny because, yeah, he him, the kid, Creon, all that stuff came from the second production. So our main characters, who, of course, aren't going to show up yet for a little while still, when they were making the movie, they... <laughs> They didn't account for any of this or like the cat guy stalking them. It's just uh, I'm sorry. I'm not sure what kind of thought I'm trying to get across here. Uh, Uh, I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) maybe move on. Uh, So. So, yeah, after briefly meeting our big bad Creon, we see a small child uh, getting stalked by. I just call him cat. He's like a monstrous version of uh, cat from Red Dwarf. He makes kitty noises kind of acts like a cat which means he kind of acts like cat the character he's like a were cat uh i guess is is supposed to be the idea he's supposed to be a were cat uh and like again this is why i would have liked 
some presence in the documentary from the later production because I want some insight into what some of this stuff was <clears throat> uh, intending to be, what the idea is. But he's also like a pirate weir cat because yeah, he's got he a, a hook hand and he's Which... dressed in like pirate clothing. He's got like, you know, the the white buffy vest and he's he's got the or the the white shirt, the vest over it and uh, like uh, adventuring pants. He's dressed like a pirate pirate cat. Yeah, and somebody came up with this idea, and, and we don't really know who or why, which, yeah, I agree. Like, I would have loved to talk to, for the documentary, to talk to some people for from uh, this portion of the production. Well, as well, just for objectivity, because I want, like, we, we don't have access to the work print, nor do they, so yeah. it's really hard to understand because the thing is that they had their work print put together and he arranged for a showing of it uh, in a very unfinished form. And that's what they feel is very unfair about it, that he did this showing and they they hated it because it was too unfinished. Right. So that's why he fired them and recut it. And I mean, like, we don't really know what that cut was like. We don't know what the material was like. I, I we, we only have their word to go on that. Like, no, it was definitely totally gold compared to what we ended up with they really do act like they were making the next evil dead and got their uh evil dead fame taken away from them by this yeah. uh, by what happened to this movie yeah i don't know because and and ultimately like this movie does have a cult following it's just you know it's not entirely their movie now mm. like uh, well the director tom whatever i think they said he wanted to take his name off the whole thing right and, like they figured that it ruined his career. People wouldn't hire him because it's like, no, we don't think you're that good because of this movie. Or yeah, which is unfair because you know he didn't really direct the finished product. True, uh, and you know you you just want to have something on your resume sometimes, un unless it's a colossal failure. Yeah, I I don't feel like this was. I don't feel like this movie is anywhere near as bad as the people who worked on it think it is. No, it's a blast. Like it's it's a mess and it's badly edited. Ultimately, a lot of things don't fit together. But that's true of a lot of horror films of the 80s. Oh, sure. like, they, it's kind of like a horror thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a low budget genre a lot of the time. And it's you expect things to be rough around the edges. And when it's just really weird brain fried stuff, especially where it's already it's something with a whole bunch of really crazy creatures. you got a guy with a hand puppet. It's, it's silly. It's already silly. Oh, that hedge puppet guy. So uh, the the first act of the movie is two things Billy. happening uh, at the same time. We've got Billy uh, approaching the house and being stalked by the cat and various denizens in the house. And we've got our main yeah, – there are main guys. They, they're completely absent in the last ten minutes, but there are main guys. Our main guys, like – actually taking quite a while to drive to the mansion and being uh, annoying and just like stopping and arguing with everybody. And it's not clear why they're friends. Oh yeah. That's the thing. Um, they're talking about how great the original movie was, but the actors it, it, who play like the friend characters, even they are like, why would these characters be friends with each other? It makes it completely make no sense. sense. No, they, they do not fit together in any sense. It's it's uh, like nothing but trouble oh, yeah. with, with these these car carloads of people. And yeah, there, there's these really stuffy yuppie people and there's 
people who seem to be a different generation from them, who are punk teens, who are friends with them. And they do mention at some point, like, they grew up together. Yep. Makes no sense. Somehow, because it makes no sense because one guy is, like, clearly 10 years older than all of them. Yeah. Uh, Actually, in the very first bit of dialogue from that, we find out that Duke got them all kicked out of the last... Duke is our... uh, our tough guy. Uh, he got them all kicked out of the last party they were at, which means they went to that party together too. Like these guys party hop together and they seem to hate each other. Well, they don't, most of them do not seem to be interested in going to another party. It seems to be only Duke who is interested. And I don't understand why they're following him because like it's revealed in the dialogue here that he's heading to another party that yeah. he or that he expects he's just going to magically find another party which ends up being this movie yeah and he apparently like knows or he claims to know the roads i don't think he did but you know so putting on my insane producer hat my my feeling here is that the reason we have billy with him showing up at the house and looking for his birthday party and finding it right yeah. It's it's similar to Duke finding the house looking for a party. I, I think he's trying to have it echo with, you know, Billy coming looking for his party. Like oh. it, it's a house that's waiting to draw you in with the party you expect to have and then, uh, you know, attack you. Yeah, because, uh, yeah. So we get to Billy next. Uh, he has apparently run away from his home because his parents have forgotten his birthday. You know, typical 80s kid movie stuff. They forgot his 13th birthday. Yeah, his 13th birthday. Uh, But that's okay. It's uh, a spooky year. Yeah. Oh, shit. 13, of course. Uh, Spookies. Unlucky. Spookies, plural. There are multiple spookies. spooky. All the monsters are now called spookies. Spider Lady is a spooky. Yeah, each of them is a spooky. The Muck Men are individual spookies. They're a subclass of spooky. Yep, they would have been called Twisted Souls, but they're spookies now. I like spookies better. I do too, man. Twisted Soul sounds like it would be one of those really angsty 90s ones where you've got like a guy in post-crow makeup with like... Oh my god, yeah. A a really bad overhanging dyed black hair like swoop mm. and, i can see and, it now and the soundtrack with like um uh nine inch nails and maybe pearl jam well i don't feel like you get no i don't think you even get nine inch nails i think you get sister machine gun you maybe get god lives underwater maybe uh uh scold oh yes oh yeah in there. yeah yeah <laughs> you, you gotta go for the uh tvt electronic acts maybe some of the <laughs> i just didn't know any of them because <laughs> it's like you know trent Reznor wouldn't come out for this i don't think so not for uh uh twisted soul the uh you know it, like it, again if it were in the 90s the twisted soul it would be instead of being a uh crow or instead of being a evil dead knockoff it's a crow knockoff right oh totally I never saw, I don't think I ever saw Crow. That's a pretty good movie. I mean, you know, it's, that that is a legitimate tragic production. Oh, right. Yeah, he died while it was happening, didn't he? 
he was killed during a shoot or like uh, it, it killed by a prop gun. Oh yeah. Uh, those prop guns uh, never really stopped being dangerous. Have they since nope, then? Not great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ooh. So Interestingly, Billy meets this guy who seems to know everything about him, and I thought this guy was going to be part of the haunting. But some no, creepy drifter. Some creepy drifter. I figure he's like some kind of like Henry Lee Lucas who was about to kill him, but then he got killed by the cat. Yeah, it's weird that he totally has Billy's number. I guess he's seen a lot of kids like Billy over the years. Yeah, um, it just it feels like you're setting him up to be part of it feels like he's going to be a spooky. Okay, so to put on my crazy producer hat again. Yep. He's showing up and, you know, you you set him up to to be like this guy who seems to know everything and he totally has Billy's number then, whoa, he's taken out. It was all a fake out. Whoa, the audience won't know what hit him. Oh, like like the red herring. Yeah, he's just a big old red herring that can't have throughout the movie because you don't you haven't made most of the movie. So you just got to <laughs> deal with him right now. <laughs> and do they ever he gets killed by the cat so quick that like i had to rewind it twice just to see it happen yeah it's, it's like the dad finding the dead dad in uh gemini last week it's like what happened there oh yeah it, it's it's like that but well you don't uh, want to have the gore they might have to cut it for the video nasties you just yeah, want a hassle so you see you just see like you know little kitty scratches I mean, I, my cat gives me worse scratches than that. So uh, we find out that our Creon guy is – he's basically a Mr. Freeze. He's got the love of his life kind of frozen in like a death state, and he needs souls to revive her. Although and, is is she the love of his life? Ultimately, when she is thawed out or whatever later, doesn't she like run away? Oh, she fucking despises him, and she yeah. would rather, would literally rather die than be with him. And she actually wants to die. And no, he, she's a prisoner. Uh, yeah, like uh, he, he, her whole thing is weird, and we don't really get her until quite a bit later. I feel. Yeah, she, she's asleep for the first half of the movie. Yeah, and then she just wakes up kind of randomly. I'm not sure what triggers her waking up. But it's like another really classic uh, sci-fi horror trope is uh, the, not just the mad scientist, but the mad scientist who has the wife who has some mysterious illness or is in some state of suspended animation, who this is all of the crimes are for her. Uh, like big trope that I've seen so many oh, times, yeah. like not oh. like well before Mr. Freeze. Like, oh, well, uh, yeah, Mr. Freeze. I like, mean, he's, you know, he's a good modern classic one. Like the corpse vanishes is one of my favorite ones where Bella Lugosi is <laughs> kidnapping brides on the day of their wedding by sending them poisoned corsages and then <laughs> stealing them from the morgue van on the way. And <laughs> really deranged stuff just so much packed in and yeah his thing is he's draining the brides for his bride <laughs> Bella Lugosi they asked me to be in Frankenstein I can't believe I said no as he's in the swamp with the octopus oh it's a great movie Ed Wood is phenomenal so we uh let's let's take a look at the the dead meats that I can remember because there's actually a ton of them yeah, there's so uh, many characters. Way too many characters. Way too many. Um, so, like, there's there's Lewis who gets killed right away. Like, I 
completely forgot he existed until I watched the movie a second time. And Carol gets turned into a monster almost immediately. So is Carol Lewis's girlfriend, like, are they a couple? Because I feel like most of them are couples when they arrive. No, most of them are couples. Um, Mm. I feel like Rich, the puppet guy, is, of course, going to be the odd man out of any couple action. (laughs) He is Uh, easily the... I think Carol were together. Uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's, that would make sense because she kills him and then that's them taken out. So we still have, uh, remaining couples all intact because I don't feel like there's anyone mourning, uh, Lewis. Not really. No. So, I mean, well, yeah, they're all friends, but they're not really friends. They don't really mourn anybody. No. Actually. Well, they, I, they. Those scenes might not be in the movie. They're, those just oh, they, they were not fun enough for the kids' movie cut. Oh, that could be. That could be. Uh, we've got so we've got Duke and Linda. Uh, Duke is our Ash, but not Ash. Kind of uh, the main guy, arguably the main, the main guy. guy. Yeah. Him or Peter, I suppose. Peter lasts longer, but I think Duke drives the st- as much as anyone drives the story. I think Duke drives the story more. I suppose. I mean, I, I think they're all kind of dim. I don't know what how it would have ended ultimately where no. <laughs> it's it's hard to tell how things would have concluded because Peter uh, seems too stiff to be our like main guy. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got Peter, who's the who's 10 years older than everyone else. And he's like the stiff businessman. He'd be like the Chevy Chase character. But he doesn't have any sense of humor and he doesn't have even the self-aggrandizement. He's just stuffy. And it, oh, yeah, there's the it's like, why am I here? Why is he here? He, he, he just doesn't make sense in this group of people in any way. Uh, his girlfriend, Megan, is a non-presence. She does nothing. I have her written down as plain girl, but she literally, I, I, I just have it written down once because she doesn't do anything. She yeah, just I cannot gets killed at the same time as everyone else does. Yeah, I cannot recall a thing that she did. Like it, it, Duke and Peter are the ones who really matter, and then Rich is the one who's interesting. <laughs> Rich is interesting. Uh, he has this hand puppet called Mook, who he just uses it to be annoying. Yeah, even before they arrive at the house, we we set it up. He's in the back seat of the car, and he'll like pop uh, the hand puppet over and. You know, be annoying. It's great. Yeah, it's it's a perfect thing for a character in a horror movie who you're going to kill off in a really absurd way. Oh, he has the best death. Easily the best. By far. Um, and then we have David and Adrian. Adrian is this British. I think she's fake British. Uh, uh probably. Uh, yeah, she's like this blonde like power businesswoman looking person who's completely browbeaten poor david who i think is secretly gay oh she's actually british uh interestingly she is the only person in this movie uh who has a linked wikipedia page in the cast list uh i i don't think anybody else was in stuff uh interestingly for how much they seem to uh talk negatively about uh our the producer guy is she was in a lot of sexually explicit feature films in the 70s she's in immoral tales by Willerian borowicz great movie oh okay cool very like uh horny movie about uh just people having sexual awakenings uh 
an anthology of sexual awakening uh, reminiscences, uh, but very fun. It's one I saw when I was really young on Showcase, and it uh, kind of always stuck with me necessarily. I think that's everybody in our main cast, but it's entirely possible that I'm missing people. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and like the important thing is the relationships between these two characters doesn't make sense and it isn't consistent from scene to scene or like between this group of characters. Yeah, it's hard to say. Again, there's so much missing. They don't. Yeah, because of how it's edited, it feels like nobody really acts like a human being. Although that's also kind of it. it I, I think some of that is uh down to the performances there there is definitely a, a heightened nature to a lot of the performances that i don't think could have been changed by editing like there is a oh, yeah. there's a level to some of these performances that does feel just big and it's always going to be really big and really absurd true true uh especially like rich yeah rich um duke's whole duke who's always like what you don't think i can do it you don't think i can be the leader I'm the leader. Don't 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 poke holes in my fragile male ego. I'll show you how fragile I'm not by yeah. proving how fragile I am. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's Dave who's uh, who who does feel like he is browbeaten and in the closet. Yeah, why is he with this woman? They hate each other. They they He's, so hate each other. Yeah, they they are antagonistic. All the time, although we, we again just get very little of background with them. They, they're they're not characters that feel all that fleshed out because we're missing half of their movie. Yeah, and I kind of get the feeling, though, I don't know how fleshed out it would have been anyway. It's hard to say. Because they are saying, like, even the actors still don't understand how these characters relate to one another. True, although that's such a weird trope of 80s slashers, too. It's because you wanted to get a range of characters in a movie. They would just have carloads of people show up to party at a house, and it's just, like, people who would never hang out together. I I think Halloween... Not Halloween 3. (laughs) Friday the 13th, Part 3, I I recall having a good instance of that, too. So, back to uh, little Billy's surprise party... After dealing with uh, the drifter and then having him get killed, he decides to go into the house where there's a surprise party set up for him, but he reacts like he's not surprised. Like, it's like, oh, you guys did remember. Like, I, in his mind. <laughs> the the way he delivers this is so funny to me, uh, where he, he picks up the card. And he's like, wow, this is really great. You guys didn't forget after all. Or you guys didn't forget my birthday after all. This is great. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm i not uh, deflating it. That's kind of how he delivers it. And <clears throat> it, it also, like, all of the balloons are all dead and half floating. Oh, and... <laughs> like, upside down. I just I can't imagine being a kid running away, uh, going into the woods way far away from civilization, finding a random house, going there and being like, wow, it sure is lucky that I randomly picked the house that my parents hid the surprise party in. I mean, it does say his name, Billy, and I think it says 13th birthday. So it, the, the house did create it for him. It's just it didn't bother to make it all that convincing, but it didn't matter because he was too dim to pick up on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the upside-down balloons, I, I, 
I find like literally like it really does actually add an unsettling atmosphere to the shot. Um, yeah, I liked it better than if they were just if they had decided to just go with regular balloons. Yeah, no, it's it's a nice little touch. Again, Halloweeny, just constant weird Halloween atmosphere. It's throwing so much Halloween imagery at you all the time. Yeah. Uh, so so Billy eventually opens up one of the big presents and what's in the fucking box, man? It's Creon's head. He's laughing at him. Yep. So Billy is, uh, yeah, he runs away and he trips and falls into an open grave. And we see the cat bury him and it actually uh, stays on. We, we film for longer than we should of like just the cat piling dirt onto him. I expected the, the the shot to be over like a full probably 30 seconds sooner than it was. Um, yeah, we, we spend a long time looking at it uh, as he's buried in the litter box. The end for <laughs> Billy, tragically. The end for Billy. He will not be appearing in the film and he will not be referenced, mentioned, or acknowledged in any way after this. Well, no, he died. He got fucking buried alive. <laughs> no one's coming to look for him. Uh, Creon doesn't give a shit about him. He never brings him up again. I mean, his parents aren't looking for him. They forgot his birthday. Ah, dunk. <laughs> Rip Billy, too dim to live. I imagine parents wake up. It's like, wasn't there a third person living here? Oh, honey, I think you're just imagining it. Ah, you're right. I, I mean, do feel like I'm forgetting something. Just that he was taken in by the really... The, the the uncanny birthday party he was taken in by it so i'm sorry i he deserves to die he took the bait you know it's 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 like the deep sea fangly fish like if you get into those jaws because you get that close to the light i'm sorry you're done that's that's just on you oh yeah billy didn't uh resist the trap in the slightest he's just like oh fuck a trap let's go like sweet i've, I've been looking for this birthday party yeah so our main team finally gets to the house, and we're actually about 20 minutes into the movie now uh, when they finally show up. Or maybe 15, I don't know. It, it, they're driving for such a long time. Uh, but they do get to the house, and of course, they just assume it's abandoned because the lights are out at midnight. Now, well, it looks pretty beat up, too. That's true, that's true. Um, I really like the house's location. In the documentary, we see them go through it, and it's like a tourist attraction. Yeah, it's a historic building. Yeah, and they've got like all these plaques about like the significance of all these different rooms. And I'd like to imagine that all these plaques are about the house's involvement in the movie Spookies, and that's why the house is famous. It's not, but I want to imagine it is. It would be, it seems to be a very serious Civil War museum of some sort, but it would be really funny if they had a room devoted to Spookies as well. Oh, yeah, just one room. Actually, that would be even better. Because, like, you got all the serious Civil War folks uh, checking it all out, and then they just go into the spooky room, like, just so out there, so different from anything. Uh, but then they it would, would have be to, like, like... It would be like that meme where you have the two booths, and there's, like, two people at one booth, and then, like, an endless lineup at the other, and <laughs> it'd be Civil War at the, the, the unattended booth, and Spookies at the booth with a million people coming. Like, yeah. if they want to up their business a little bit, I don't know. I'm <laughs> just saying. We horror fans. Yeah. <laughs> like our pilgrimages. So throughout this whole movie, always just assume that the cat is in the back, well, not in the background, but, like, cut to look like he's in the background watching. 
whoever's focused on at the time. Yeah, they, uh, they frequently just cut to show Cat Guy, uh, even though he does not do anything or ever interact with the main cast. Not once. Yeah, because We're done with Cat Guy doing stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, no, he, he does do stuff with Isabel because they were filmed oh, right, at the Isabel. same time. Yeah, yeah, the, the bride he, stuff. What The only thing he actually does in the movie is he does that thing where, like, he holds the doorknob so that they can't turn it to open the door. Right. That's right. <laughs> That's, like, his main thing to trap people in rooms. And then, like, they're acting like there's, like, this unseen force holding the door shut because apparently – because that's well, probably he planned. He's <laughs> unseen. They don't see – like, they don't know that he's the unseen force, and it's much sillier than they would have ever expected. He's just that, holding that's... it shut. I did that when I was a kid, and I didn't want people to come into my room. Sure. That's kind of the beauty of the silliness of Spookies and it being Spookies rather than the very serious and angsty Twisted Souls uh, is that it's – you know, you got the silly cat man lurking at the background of every scene. And, uh, you know, it starts with him burying Billy in the litter box. Rip Billy. <laughs> and then, you know, you have these scenes where all of these people are absolutely terrified with a giant di- demonic force of the house holding them in the room. And then you cut outside the room to see, oh, it's the silly cat guy. He's just holding the knob. You guys. Then he's holding the knob with one hand because the other one's a hook. Of course. <laughs> So they find the uh, they find the first half of the Ouija board thing, uh, the the pointer, which is actually this really cool. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but it kind of looks like a really cool, like big fancy dagger. Yeah, the, the planchette. Uh, it's a very uh, heavily carved, uh, very elaborate planchette. They couldn't use a real Ouija board or planchette because, of course, it is trademarked by Milton Bradley. And the fact that Ouija boards are trademarked by Milton Bradley should kind of uh, should kind of that right there should put an end to the argument of whether or not they're real. Or sorry, not Milton Bradley, Hasbro. My bad, Hasbro. Same diff. <laughs> the the, the same people one. who the same people who make GI Joe and Transformers toys uh, have the uh, trademark on the Ouija board. Our mom from Beyond the Grave is saying we need to buy more Transformers. Mom? Okay, well, who am I to argue? It sounds like Duke's gone into a coma. (laughs) Oh, man, I love that I've been able to reference that in both parts. (laughs) G.I. Joe the movie, the the animated movie from the 80s, when it came out, it just came out in the wake of Optimus Prime dying and every child being absolutely scandalized, and they were going to kill off Duke, and they had made the movie. And it was coming out and yeah. like, we better not do that. <laughs> so they vo- they added in voiceover, he went into a coma. <laughs> I remember when Optimus Prime died. Oh, was that like, was, oh. Yeah. Traumatic. He turns all gray. Yeah. Now you got to buy new Transformer toys because all your favorite ones are dead. That was the point. Yeah. That was absolutely the point. And then they rebooted the, uh, like, it was between seasons of the animated series, and when they came back, they had all new characters. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got the old Transformers. Now you got to spend all this money to collect the new ones. Yeah. I mean, it was a brilliant scheme, but parents hated oh, it, and it got a lot of protest. Yeah, yeah, but it worked. It worked. But Duke just went into a coma. They, they, they'll they just put a new costume on Duke. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 
they find the other part of the Ouija board, the board itself, uh, when Duke opens up a closet and a dead man comes out and they argue about whether or not he's a real dead man or a fake one. I mean, he's pretty fake looking. He looks pretty fake. And if he was real, he'd probably stink. Well, he looks really old mummified. Like, he could have been in there for 70 years. He may not smell anymore. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. When does a corpse stop smelling? Uh, I'm not going to Google it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm definitely not going to Google it, just in case you know. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> I, I love, though, like, Duke refers to Peter, is, you know, one of his best friends that he grew up in. He always just refers to him like, what are you, what's your problem, mister? And, and it's always like, come on, mister. Like, what is their relationship? I, I, I watched this movie, like, knowing that, knowing that it wasn't ever determined what their relationship was. I watched it trying to, like, figure out an imaginary relationship that it could be and <coughs> got nothing. Yeah, no, the mister thing really makes no sense to me. My guess was that Megan is the one that they're friends with and that she married this older rich guy who's like oh, a stockbroker or something that's that my that could be and maybe that's just totally absent in the movie maybe that's something that got lost from the twisted souls cut yeah or could be or maybe they never thought of that to begin with who knows i mean it really seems like there has to be something there because it's, it's true be something right duke always calls him like listen mister it just does not seem like they know each other yeah but yet they keep talking about how they all know each other so it's uh, i don't maybe get it but all I love but it. him maybe he's the only outsider in the bunch or uh you know there there's a couple people who are sort of outsiders because they're boyfriends or girlfriends oh yeah okay like adrienne seems like an outsider as well she does um so carol is uh the one explaining about ouija boards and how you can contact people from beyond the grave and all that which is apparently weird because she wasn't always into this stuff, somebody tells us. So I kind of wonder if, like, maybe Carol was always possessed and maybe she secretly was the one who, like, behind the scenes guided them to the house. No, Duke was. Oh, he, no, he was, but yeah, but maybe she planted the idea into him somehow. Or maybe I'm super overthinking a dumb movie. Yeah, I think you're overthinking it. I, like it's it's what I was saying about Duke looking for a party, just how the kid was looking for a party. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I I like the questions that they ask. Like first is like how how old am I? It's like twenty four. Uh, and as they're doing the Ouija board, Creon is like narrating the answers, which is just weird. Well, so people don't have to read it. So people don't have to uh, see because uh, it's an extremely ornate board. Oh, Sometimes it's hard to tell the yeah. where it says no. It also looks like it says we. Actually, you know, I, I did think that exact thing. I thought it said we at first, like the French word for yes. Yeah, uh, it, it's extremely ornate. So I, I would say, again, this is crazy producer hat. Uh, people are going to look at this and have a hard time seeing it, especially on VHS when it's lo-fi oh, and true. they got to look at it real quick and like, I'm going to add in a guy who's going to say it and it'll be much easier to understand what we're looking at because this is stuff that uh, is going to be, you know, it's, it's sort of semi-important detail at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she asks like, how old are you? 24. And then she asks, how old will I live to be? And 24. I just love 24. And then 
uh, Linda takes over the thing, and she keeps asking, like, are me and Duke going to be together forever? And he's like, no. Are we going to be together a month from now? No. Are we going to be together at the end of the night? And I love that, like, Creon's voice sounds, like, annoyed at this point. He's like, no. No, you're not getting it. I'm going to kill all of you. Just get on with it. Yeah. And then Carol just immediately becomes a zombie. Yeah, she gets evil she, deaded. Each of them are turning into... Deaded. Yeah, they're, they're, they all turn into deadites. Um, well, yeah, actually they do at the end, except for Duke who gets punched over <laughs> a counter and that's the end of him. Well, and, and Rich who, who, oh, who and gets yeah. devoured. So yeah, we've got a poorly cut fight scene where Carol, I guess, beats a bunch of them up with like punches and stuff. Um, the fight scenes when they happen at no point in time can I tell where anyone is in relation to anyone else. Yeah, These here, are like the worst edited parts. Well, it's not that they're the worst edited parts. It's that they're the hardest part to edit. And it's where it stands out the most that the person editing it did not know what they were doing. Like, it's it's just really badly fitting together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like it was edited by this Eugenie Joseph who was brought in to direct these other scenes. And I don't know if she ever did anything else. Uh, the, the, uh, the documentary does talk about her, but I can't remember. She was uh, uh, I guess she made she's mostly a producer. Uh, OK, the, she directed one other thing the year later called Mindbenders, which I've never seen. And that's that's it. She's produced other stuff much more recently. Okay, cool. So yeah, uh, after the whole Carol becoming a zombie thing, they all do the sensible thing and run outside the house. But <laughs> they are stopped by, well, they're supposed to be stopped by ghosts. Yeah, there's uh, supposed to be animations of ghosts that are swirling around, but they go out and they're just like, ah, ah, they're, they didn't add the effects. Well, yeah, the thing that scares them is that uh, Lewis, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the throwaway guy, he just like sinks into a grave. Uh, right. That just kind of spawns and uh, suddenly like through all these sparks, his name gets written on the tombstone. That's what scares them so much that they feel like they have to run back into the house the way it's edited. Well, also, I think we see the cat. I'm pretty sure the cat is lurking out there, too. Okay, so maybe we're to believe they also saw the cat? I think we're supposed to maybe believe that's also part of it. Okay. It's hard to tell because he was not there when they shot this. <laughs> yeah, like... He was not he, a part of the movie. No, when he when he acted that, he believed that he was running into the house because of ghosts. Yeah. And they're, like, ducking and dodging them, which uh, it doesn't... It doesn't, it doesn't yeah, look it, good. It looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, when they get inside the house, the cat just starts knocking on the door and then well, let me that's in. causing everyone to let the cat in. Let the cat, <laughs> let in. The cat in. Let the cat in. I'm the cat. Let the cat in. Oh, yeah. Then they'll open it and he'll just stand there for like sitting in this doorway and it's like, come on, cat, in or out. In or out, cat. I'm not leaving the door open like this. Because he's not knocking. He's scratching on it with his hook. Oh, yeah, right. Which, you know, gives them reason to think that they are out there, which is what they say, of well, course, maybe to in, the non-existent ghosts. Maybe in the other cut, they are out there. Presumably oh, yeah. oh, in the I'm other sure cut, they are. they are out there. Oh, for sure. Um, oh, no, actually, yeah. Some, at this point, some zombies come up out of the grave. 
So, you know, the zombies that were added in after the fact, after the producer had already said, no, we won't do zombies. Yeah, they, they so, have them in there a few times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's zombies. I guess that's what's keeping them stuck inside the house this time. So so they all split up into their designated couples plus Rich. Rich goes, cherche la femme, looking for love with his hand puppet. <laughs> well, at first he goes with uh, Peter and Megan, but gets cut off from them pretty quick because he keeps like tripping over electrical cords and like getting his foot stuck in mop buckets. And the first time I was watching it, I was like, man, I want him to die from some completely normal thing that isn't spooky. Uh, like, like that kid in Body Belt who just died from bailing on his rollerblades too hard. Although, ultimately, his death is still the best in the movie, though. So, oh, you know, yeah, it, it's no, fun. what we got was a lot better than what I was expecting. But, but yeah, I would have loved if somebody did that. His character is interesting to me because, like, he's the only character that really stands out uh, as, as a performance because he's really weird. It's a big performance. It's kind of like uh, Crispin Glover in uh, Halloween, Halloween, Friday the 13th 4, where he's one of the dead meats. It's it's just like a big performance. It's a wild performance. It's a really strange performance. And he's just like this big galoot who's stumbling into closets and getting <laughs> buckets stuck on his feet. And it's like he's a slapstick character who's in the wrong movie. <laughs> yep. Uh, so it's around here that the bride wakes up. And, and here's where we find out that she does. She's not actually the love of this guy's life. And she hates him and she wants to die and all that. And every now and again, we're just going to cut back to them arguing for until about the last act of the movie. That's about all the bride and Creon are going to do for the next bit. Yeah, because they're not in the movie, so there's no way that they can interact <laughs> with the movie. Nope, but Creon can narrate stuff that's happening in the movie and be like, yes, I planned this. We yes. can provide clarity because the editing is bad and they're missing so many pieces. True. You know, Creon um, is a plot device, even though he's also the villain. He He's like, he ties the room together. Oh, man, he really, he does really tie the room together, doesn't he? Like the second watching, I was like, would the, I was trying to think about whether or not the movie would be better without Creon, because he was one of the guys added completely after the fact. And he looks so shitty. Worse. Oh, he looks so bad. His costume is like the worst. But, like, he looks so shitty, and he doesn't really add a whole lot, ultimately, but he's he's so right for it. <laughs> he's yeah, so that's... funny. Like, the end when he bursts out of the, the fake clip, <laughs> it's so funny. Especially because, like, he bursts out doing the zombie arms. And laughing. <laughs> cackling. Like, Just uh... like when he was the severed head in the present. Like, we know he's not, like, he's not a top-tier horror villain, but he is great for this movie, and, and the movie is better with him in it. I mean, it's hard or to say. Least. Obviously, we, we have no idea what the movie would have been prior to all the added stuff, well, but yeah. this version of the movie, he is the right villain for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Duke and Linda are fighting over whether or not Duke should, oh, no, Duke is fighting over whether or not he should be the leader, and I don't think Linda's really arguing. Duke is just doing a fragile male ego thing. That's that's what he does for most of the movie. Um, and then he, oh yeah, right. No, he throws himself down the uh, cellar stairs, and it looks completely fake. And it turns out it was because he was pranking Linda. But then this is this is where the mud men come and attack. 
Yeah, so the cellar with the wine and the muck men. Uh, yeah. And yes, yes, the muck men make little fart sounds when they move around. <laughs> oh, but it's like, it's not just like, oh, it's conscious out here and the farts out. No, it's like, like overlapping farts. It's <laughs> like this whole scene is just a cacophony of farts. Yeah, and this is definitely the thing that the uh, Twisted Soul makers hate the most. Th- this like feels to them like a personal insult. Uh, yeah, where they even say like we worked so hard on this scene that how could they do this? <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, I don't think the scene was ever going to be scary. Maybe no. you could have made it sort of atmospheric, but you know, they're mud guys. It's it's a silly movie with muck men and a hand puppet man and uh <laughs> it's it's already pretty goofy so i i don't feel it harms certainly this version of the movie it's completely the right choice oh absolutely uh, i don't know I, I i also don't feel like it's an insult to them like no. as we know from the documentary it's the sound editor who came up with the idea who just thought it would be kind of funny and you know they're they're muck men you know so they're it would be muck the the folds of muck would make that sound if you walk through mud you get fart sounds it's it's true this happens so you know it's cutesy it it wasn't necessary but yeah it's fucking amusing oh no this chill i was was laughing my ass off the whole time and they're acting like this is a war crime Uh, and it's like no this this also ties the movie together like it's a heightening element in an already very silly movie. Like, I, I, I don't think they were going to make a serious movie. There, no, there's a lot of elements in this that would not have fit in a serious movie. Like, like the whole the characters and their relationship to each other would have killed any chance of this ever being like a serious prestige film. Yeah, it's it's weird. Well, it clearly was not meant to be prestige. I think it was really meant to showcase all the great creature effects. And I do feel like I, I feel could like have it. seen more of all of them. Yes, yes. Um, the creature effects, are, we don't get enough of them. And I wonder how much how much more was intended to be in the original version. I mean, we get a pretty good amount of all of them. It's just I, I would always like more of them because they're all really great. They're, they're, they're really so impressive. Good. Like even these mud men here, they like. They look good. They look like they're creatures made out of mud rather than creature than dudes covered in mud. Yeah, they look a heck of a lot better than the shitty zombies that we see uh, bookending the movie in uh, the other cut, the like the other production. Yeah. So the weakness of the mud men is water, or in this case, wine, as Linda takes an axe and like bashes a barrel that like squirts them all with wine, and they melt and they release one last pathetic fart into the dying gasp but it's a fart yep they're they're washed down the drain like the the farting poop that they are uh, uh and uh, i'm sorry they, they they that's how they get washed away they can fart a bit chill <laughs> chill out it's okay yeah, for sure totally I mean, what sound effects were you gonna have they they were I like I guess they were not gonna have them like just squelchy sounds I guess which you know whatever that's been done we haven't done the farting before that's new <laughs> like no, the, I the I cannot the room together it's it's funny like I I I don't even love fart jokes that much I don't typically find them even all that funny it's just it's it was the right pick here I I I have to defend yeah. it <laughs> uh, I got a secret theory. The, the producer, the one who like hijacked the pro- 
secretly a B-movie genius. And like, it's hard like, to say, maybe he was just, like, on a lot of coke, and he just got it right. He, he just, like, he oh, man. just fallen he, into the right stuff. You're right. Like, everything aligned. Like, the, the planets aligned, like, the end of 2001. It just, like, it all, uh, <laughs> and, you know, he, he's sitting in his monolith room with the uh, 80-year-old version of himself, like, <laughs> planning out how he's going to make this script uh, out of a movie that already exists. <laughs> screaming farting ape men staring at the monolith he just like uh, sniffed a mountain of coke and just went dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah uh so rich uh in his wandering away from everybody else finds carol and the board um and is trapped in a room with them for some reason he's like I, I think it's the same room where she was in the beginning, right? She isn't I in a different like, place. He's I just feel found like it his... is, and he just got lost and went, ended up back there, maybe. Yeah, he's found his way back to the same room for whatever reason. Is this also where he says, where he's looking for a bathroom? He's like, what am I talking about? This place isn't the Ritz. And he, he pisses in the fireplace. Oh, that's, that's a later scene. That's a later scene, yeah. Okay. We got a bunch of scenes of David and Adrian just arguing over whether or not they should leave this room that they've all decided to stay in. And ultimately, they never do. They just fight about it forever. Yeah, I'm glad that there's not more of that. (laughs) Yeah. It does seem like these people just spend this entire movie uh, arguing with each other in a room. And again, if there's a lot more of that in the original cut... Uh, <laughs> putting on my crazy producer hat. It was the right choice. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> These people yeah. are annoying. <laughs> yeah, they're not like the guys in, oh, what was that movie where I liked all the dead meats? Last uh, week. I mean, oh, lots oh, of them. Gosh. Oh, uh, Blood Rage. Yeah, that's it. I don't like anyone here, and I think it's funny when they die. I mean, Rich is amusing. Like, he's a very entertaining presence, but, like, he's so heightened. Yeah, but he, you know, it's funny when he dies too. He gets the funniest. Well, yeah, he gets the funniest death. It's incredible. It's so good. Actually, yeah, yeah, it's it's right around here where uh, Rich is like, he's got to take a pee, and he's like, oh, what the hell? This isn't the race. And I'm just like, dude, do you pee? Is that like your bar for where you're gonna piss or not? Whether or not it's like a five star hotel, it's like it's not a five star hotel. So I'll pee here. It's like a four star hotel. Let's see. We've also got more of. Duke and Linda fighting over whether or not they're going to... Man, a a lot of this movie is just the couples fighting with each other. Yeah, there's a lot of really annoying infighting. Again, like, I don't want more of that, so I'm glad that there's not a whole lot of time spent with these characters wandering around the house arguing with each other. Uh, And that... like, I I don't know how... I don't know what a lot of the rest of the movie could have been. We're seeing most of the effects on the screen, I feel. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I, I do feel like... Twisted Souls would have been a much slower, a slower film at, at any rate. Yeah, probably a slower and more dour movie. Like, obviously it was silly in places, but it kind of seems like maybe only one character was all that funny. And then all of the others are going to be kind of pretty serious about themselves. Mm-hmm. I-, I could imagine like Duke having this whole art where like he learns what it really means to be a leader and yeah, maybe not. No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. But Carol summons the snake demon, which is one of the good effects. 
this is like kind of like a cross between a boglin and a gremlin. Looks so much like a boglin. It Just really like a really like a long tail. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even realize it was supposed to be because they call it in the documentary a snake demon. I didn't realize they were referring to this thing. It's not snake like. No, not really. It's it's it, it it has like front feet and like a long lizard body. But I guess it it ends in a tail. It's just it seems yeah. more like more lizardy than snake. much more. Yeah. This is another one of those fight scenes where you can't keep track of anybody as she's uh, as the snake monster is attacking Adrian. After Adrian finds that David, who she thought was asleep, has actually had his face mutilated, just died off screen. I guess. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, they're fighting. uh, And I I like the creature, but editing of the creature is so weird because, like, it's never in the same space that it's in. I don't know how to explain it better than that. It's not badly. It's not very well composited. It, it does. It just doesn't look right. None of the shots put things into proper context. You have the the thing that's supposed to be on her back, and she's supposed to be fighting it, but you never really get any shots that uh, clearly put them together in a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But eventually, she manages to crush it with an armoire, and I do like the huge pool of blood that comes out from under the thing. They they don't focus on it, but it's there, and I think that's pretty cool. And, and, like, this apparently was, like, a huge, huge effect shot that they had done. They, like, raised the floor so that they could get the puppeteers underneath. Well, I mean, any just, of these creatures are going to be really huge effects. They're very elaborate. Yeah, it's it's just kind of a shame that, like, the fight scene with this really cool creature just kind of didn't pan out. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe there were good shots for it existing that were cut together poorly. Or maybe or maybe uh, this really is the best they could have done with what they had to work with. Who knows? Hard to say. I'd say it's unlikely. It seems I, I like they, they like obviously these people shot it, had some clue of what they were doing. Uh, but, you know, their, their pieces just whatever pieces were used were not the right ones. It could also be a thing where this person, Eugenie Joseph, it's the first job she's ever done as an editor. First done, first thing she's ever done in movies. She just does not really know how to edit and is kind of having to do it on the fly with material that was made very specifically by people who had a very specific vision who were not ready for someone else to take it over. And they're not helping in any way or providing any sort of blueprint. So she just kind of did her best as she could with what she knew how to do with it. Yeah, that's kind of the like the thing about it is like the original cast is not communicating to the new production crew anything about what their intentions were. Like it, so it, like it, they really do have to make it up. Yeah, it, it became so antagonistic, and that, that's something that strikes me about how bitter it is. It's just they became so antagonistic that there was no way that the film could be completed. Yeah, yeah, it was either do what they did or the film just dies. Yeah, so they they made their own thing. It's like, well, we're you know, I I sunk all this money into this. This was my project, so I guess I'm going to do it this way. And yeah, you probably didn't uh, respect their vision at all, but uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the way it goes in the independent film business. Yeah, although I will say, like, some of the editing does work. Like, a lot of the time when they cut the cat in, it does kind of feel like he's in the same space as the action. Well, I think it's just pretty easy to show someone lurking in a place when it's already a movie where everybody is being watched by lurking stuff. It's it's pretty easy to just put something in there. There may have been something vaguely similar in there that just isn't there anymore. That's possible, too. 
like like another ghost or something. There could be lots of ghost stuff. We we really have no idea what the, that stuff was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here we find out that uh, oh God, what is it? Creon uh, considers every soul that he's taken from anyone, uh, like all the zombies and stuff, to be his children. But their actual biological question mark uh, child is Korda the Jawa, who were formally introduced to uh, for the first time now. Yeah, l- the little blue kid. I think we have previously seen him uh, where, when Duke for- goes. When Duke goes past the room and opens the door under the stairs, that's like, what is this, a room for midget ghosts? <laughs> and he's in there. Yeah, he's in there. Um, we also do see him, like, running around in the graveyard in some of the Billy scenes, but he hasn't he hasn't done anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not going to. Yeah, no, he's not going to do anything of note. Now his role is to just be someone who Creon talks to so that Creon's not talking to himself anymore once the bride escapes. He's supposedly playing the chess game against him in some sense, but there's no sense of any pieces relating to people in any conceivable sense. No, the best we get is when somebody dies, he just takes a piece off the board. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, not every time. Because they had to retrofit this shit. Yeah. There's, there was no way to make this feel like an actual chess game. So he just tells us over and over again that, that they're all doing what he says. So here's one of the cool effects. Uh, after David has been killed, Adrian, of course, survived the snake demon. Uh, huh. Just got bit in the throat real bad. Probably, probably won't live if she doesn't get medical attention. And uh, David's there in the hallway, but he transforms into this... I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this ghoul with like these electric tentacles. It's like a ho- got a hollow chest cavity where you can see the heart. This thing looks amazing. Yeah, it's super cool. This is such a good mod. This is my favorite monster. Uh, I like this more than the spider. It's certainly the most imaginative one because it's just like this totally original, weird creature that just has all these tentacles. They're all electrified. You you got the heart pumping in the middle. It's pretty cool. And yeah, it melts Adrian with its electric tentacles. Yeah. Like like her face melts budget Evil Dead style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she's gone now. Oh, (laughs) now we've got uh, Isabel being stalked by... A not so great effect. It's a like this like ghoulish, emaciated witch dummy. The skeleton witch. Yeah, that's uh, that's chasing her and, and attacking her and stuff. It looks looks pretty bad, especially after the creature we just saw. Uh, this, of course, being one of the ones from the second production. Is it? Uh, yes, because it's in the same. Oh, it's Isabella. Isabella. Right, it's yeah. Isabella. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, the difference is night and day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cat is watching her while also being upstairs and watching the party, uh, the party goers. Cat sees all, knows all. He is just watching, you know, whoever the scene is about at the time. Well, he can be cut in anywhere. That's the beauty of the cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's only an edit away. Yeah. And it's clever that they use a cat because cats can just show up anywhere. Like Cats are magical cat. and can teleport. I'm convinced my cat can. I think every cat owner believes their cat can teleport. Short distances. Uh, so after wandering in the house for 
an unknown amount of time. Uh, Duke and Linda walk, bump into Peter and Megan, and uh, they start fighting over... Who's in charge? Over, yeah, over who's in charge, basically. And I realized that Peter and Megan never encountered any other monsters besides Carol, and they and they kind of don't believe Duke and uh, Linda about the dirt thing. Yeah, that's pretty absurd, because like, it's been such Carol. a long time. Yeah, they saw Carol, for one thing, and weren't they all trapped in there when there was the ghosts and stuff? It, yeah. it really doesn't track, but then I have no idea what the rest of their path in the movie is. No, have, like, no what have they been we doing? don't follow them. They're just wandering. They but got like, separated from Rich. They're I just can't imagine... I just can't imagine what we could have seen them doing for the entire movie if at this point they're like, well, that doesn't sound believable at all. <laughs> One monster, sure. One spooky, yes, but multiple spookies? <laughs> I don't think so. Meanwhile, Rich has somehow wandered into a spider's nest. I do love Spider Lady's uh, outfit before she transforms and like the makeup and all that. They, that's just like, she looks really cool. Yeah, so the, the Spider Woman is really, really cool effect. It's this lady again. It, what's cool with both of them, uh, both this one and the the octopus thing, is that it's a transformation effect. That mm. like you know someone turns into this. So this lady has a full transformation into this huge spider. Yeah, and like like her head just gets bigger and like it splits open and the veins are moving. It's great. Like it's it's, it's really good. It's it's a uh, similar to something like a uh, uh, American Werewolf in London. Oh, you know what? Yeah. In terms of like a body horror transformation. Although I do say like that is probably one of the best transformations of all time. Uh, yeah. American Werewolf. Well, yeah. I mean, that's also a major uh, studio production, whereas this is <laughs> an independent production that got stolen by the producer and finished himself. So. Duke and Peter are still fighting while Rich is encountering the sexy spider lady. The Grim Reaper comes out. It's like this statue that turns into the Grim Reaper. And he slashes at Duke and sends Duke flying over a counter. And I guess he dies because we don't see him again. Rip Duke. Yeah, Rip Duke. Got uh, thrown. Yeah. He slashes Linda in the leg and they're getting out of... Uh, and they're like escaping from the second story window onto the roof and the Grim Reaper's following him. Oh, I love how they fucking get rid of him. Is it Peter? It's, it's Peter. So he he decides to take charge since the other guy taking charge is apparently dead. And he just he grabs the side from the Grim Reaper, overpowers him somehow, and tosses him off the roof. And he explodes. He fucking explodes. <laughs> yeah, just a huge gasoline explosion. Like he, yeah, it's he a gasoline threw... explosion. Like he threw uh, a lit balloon full of gas, just like threw it off the roof and just kaboom. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, I've got written right down here. Uh, did the Reaper kill Duke? It's not clear, but yes, uh, I do believe the Reaper killed Duke because he doesn't come back. Yeah, no, we never see Duke again. No. Maybe there uh, was a death scene in the original movie. Maybe. Or maybe Duke was meant to live in the original. I mean, where would he know. be in all of this? Yeah, that's true. Because he never shows up in any of the other scenes. Well, there's not many other scenes of the main party left. Because uh, Spider-Girl's finishing her transformation now. And uh, she eats, she throws, she spits out, like, a second mouth, kind of like the alien mouth. But it's a projectile, like, it's not attached to her. Yeah, it, it fires out like it's on a string. Yeah, 
and <laughs> finally, fucking finally, it's it bites Rich, and he fucking deflates into this ridiculous, like, deflated dummy that actually looks a lot like him. It's so good. It's, it's just like a like a like a deflated rich blow up doll. Yeah, it's it's like he just got popped. Yeah, and it's it like simultaneously looks so silly, but also so perfect for the movie. And this is one of the original effects that they were so proud of, but it looks so silly. And it's like this was because of that. This was always going to be a silly movie. Well, everything with Rich is quite silly. Yeah, I think everything would have been just a lot better if they just I don't know had a bit more self awareness to know that what they were making was silly and just rolled with it a bit, but. I wasn't there. <laughs> Maybe the producer really was just fucking insufferable to work with the whole time. Who knows? So uh, Duke's dead. Rich is dead. The only people left are Peter, Linda, and uh, I guess Megan. I don't know if she's alive or not. Presumably. Oh, yeah. No, she is because she's with them when they go into the exposition, the, uh, exposition room where they've got all the backstory, the picture of a guy who looks like what they tried to base Creon's makeup on. I'm not sure. I, it, it might just be some insert shots that they've added of this picture. I don't think I we actually ever see them looking at it. Oh, you might be right. I'm pretty That's sure we just see it in inserts. Although we yeah. hear someone describing it, but it's like maybe I, I think they based him vaguely on the description to make, make to match the description that. Peter gives a while looking at the painting, I think. Yeah. Because I um, think they also describe it as a painting, and it is a photograph. It is a photograph. They uh, they do, look at this photograph. And yeah, they learn that like this house used to belong to a sorcerer. So, so they're, they think that you know the sorcerer was trying to fight the demons, but of course, and maybe originally it was intended to fight the demons, but we know that no, the sorcerer loves demons. Yeah, like this is just it, it's regurgitated Evil Dead. It's it's the yeah. same thing at the end where they have the dagger and they have the Book of the Dead and they're playing the tape and they're trying to f- get the thing in the fire. It's it's that scene. They're doing that scene, yeah. but uh, the Spookies version, and then uh, it doesn't work out for them. No, uh, because Carol shows up in the room and she's doing like this elect the electricity that makes you get old. And their like hair is going all gray and they're getting all wrinkly. And uh, Peter reaches for this uh, file or this potion that they talk about it like it, as if it was something that were talked about before, but it's never been talked about before. Well, it uh, probably was in the other version of the well, movie. Of course, of course, it was cut. But apparently, it's supposed to be the solution to the problem. So he throws it at Carol. Carol blocks it with the Ouija board, and I guess all of our heroes are dead now apparently because we don't see him again uh now it's time for isabel's great escape yeah i presume that there may have been more movie at the end there for those characters but in this version that's just how it ends for them yes that is how it ends uh creon's plan is i guess complete because i guess he has their souls or something but isabel stabs him in the forehead with this like ice pick and then escapes for running away from really shitty zombies for like the next 10 minutes there's just a whole lot of running around in the field with zombies uh so like i i assume there was a whole lot of other stuff that was cut and i don't know how slow the other movie 
would ultimately have been. But clearly here they're stretching for time to reduce the amount of the other movie present. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what they say. Like it ended up being like 51 percent new stuff and 49 percent old stuff. And they're like, I think they did it that way on purpose. I, I would not be surprised. That, that is probably like if they did. a legitimate producer trick. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like you can tell like some of the the new stuff was stretched the lingering on burying Billy and no joke this her running away from zombies is probably about 10 minutes yeah nothing takes place it's it's all totally extraneous it's just her running and there's there's zombies yeah they, they just rip off pieces of her clothing you know to create the thing for the cover art yeah it's the poster art basically yep uh and then she gets into a car and there's this guy who we've never seen before is like hey get out of my car but get out of my dreams and get out of my car. <laughs> so they're driving off to safety, but uh, it's the cat. And Creon bursts out of the tomb from the beginning, cackling. Yep. Uh, <laughs> like even doing the zombie pose. And yeah, oh yeah, the cat says to Isabel, like, don't you realize I've always loved you too? <laughs> so Absolute bad. nonsense. That's completely idiotic. Yeah. It does completely run aground. Like this last 10 minutes is like, this is really just kind of padding out time now, huh? Until Creon just busts out of the tomb and is, ah, ha, 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 and the credits roll. I'm like, okay, I mean, that was pretty funny. This movie is bad, but it's bad in all the right ways. Yeah, it's, the thing is, it's got incredibly good effects while being otherwise uh, a real shambles. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do feel that, uh, oh God, what is it? Terror souls or whatever. Twisted souls. Twisted souls. I do feel like, I mean, we'll never know. And who knows, but I do feel like it probably wouldn't have been as interesting of a movie. I think it would have been a better movie. I just don't think it would have been as fun of a movie. Like yeah. it, it would have been as special. The, the, the effects are very nice and that's always going to stand out. But the the 80s was like a real fertile time for creature effects. And you had a lot of great creature effects in this era. So that alone doesn't necessarily make it stand out. It's one of those things that, yeah, it would be a deep cut for uh, collectors. But this one, it's a cult phenomenon because it's so weird. Yeah. It's it, like it wouldn't have been a cult phenomenon just for having some pretty good creature effects. I'm no. sorry, guys. No, you, you know, you need more than that, especially in the 80s. Like the thing is just around the corner if it hasn't come out already. Oh, it's it's years ago. It was, that's 82. Oh, right. Yeah, this was 86. Well, it came out in 86, but started in 83, maybe or 84. Uh, 84. Yeah. So, yeah, really Really interesting movie, uh, really interesting story behind the movie, but the documentary is really kind of a downer. It's a bummer. Like, I get it. They're, they're very uh, choked about th- the movie not being the movie that they wanted to make. You know, it's a bunch of people who wanted to make an indie horror film, and it's the movie they made, and it's not the movie they made. You know, the, yeah. the movie they made didn't get made. Yeah. Uh, that kind of stinks, but it's too bad that they've never been able able to embrace the cult of it. Yeah, because like this is a really fun movie, and I love it, and I loved it. Like I loved watching it a second time, especially after seeing the documentary, which got me primed to defend it. I just found myself loving the stupid stuff even more. 
Yeah, it is funny that like you watch the documentary and they they really hate the movie and then you watch the movie again and it's even more fun because of how bitter they are about the movie. You feel like it should be worse than it is and you watch it and like, no, it's really fun. I'm having yeah. a good time. Like the editing isn't like the cuts are not as bad as they make it sound. They're not good, but they are not nearly as bad as they make it sound. It's choppy. Like it's it's impossible to say to, because we don't know what material was there but it could have been a total puzzle like they could have made it to very clear specifications of their own and not left a lot of additional cutting so maybe there just was not a lot to work with for such a novice editor it's hard to say like without that second opinion or the the alternate cut it's so hard to uh be fully on the side of uh the only people whose viewpoint is presented yeah yeah um because i really wish the documentary had been more balanced like, I get it because they are the wounded party, essentially. Yeah. Like, you know, they're, they're the ones whose movie was stolen from them. They were all fired off the project that they created. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that, that would that would sting. Uh, so I get it. It's just it's really too bad that they've been unable to make amends with it and sort of join with the fan community because there's such a big fan community for horror. And it's really weirdly warm and loving. Yeah, like, th- like these guys could have been. Like what Tommy Wiseau is when he embraced the fact that that the room didn't get the reception that he wanted. He embraced the reception he got. Yeah. Or it's like uh, Halloween 3, you know, going back to what I was saying about the sub theme of failure that runs through both of these. In That was a movie that failed but has been reclaimed. That is a movie that will that has many defenders now. Like when oh, I yeah. first started watching that movie and fell in love with it, that was really uncommon. Now, a lot of people are like, yeah, I mean, Halloween 3, secret masterpiece. Oh, so good. Whereas, you know, Spookies, there's a there is the cult following there. But these guys are just like, no, it's bad. We don't want to. <laughs> be a part of it and like, oh, that's too bad yeah, there's a place shame. for you <laughs> yeah 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 then that's it like there's a place for you guys here yeah. you could probably reclaim it tomorrow if you wanted to well like it, it's it is a movie that the cult is gaining because it is true that a few years ago it was pretty unpopular and not really well known but as this documentary has come out as this movie has been newly available on blu-ray for the first time and like it, it's the, the people who saw it when it was airing constantly on USA network as kids are <laughs> are growing up now too so it's it's got it's sort of right in just the right place to get reclaimed i don't know yeah i, I love it i love it's spookies. pretty fun uh, i'm glad i watched it i'll watch it again i'll show it to my friends yeah totally like i've like i've been trying to get you guys to watch You've it for a couple years <laughs> it's always in the stack of, of yeah. movies that you bring over when we're hanging out now you can see why because it's like yeah, totally. I, this is a movie that would be easy to watch yeah uh anyway uh, any last thoughts before we move on to part three yes but we need to cut them for time okay and we're back for part three uh the watched stacks so we're talking about a whole bunch more movies we've watched. Oh, wow, there's a lot on here. Holy moly. Uh, we had 20 last week. This week we've uh, been slacking. We only have 18. Oh, just 18? To be fair, last week uh, we recorded a day late. So uh, True. Also had one less day. So I still watched 18 movies. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. I, I could never. First up is Abracadabra. It, it's, it's like a style... Thing. Uh, it's it's like it, it, this this came out in 2018, but it's emulating 
70s, really low-budget, grimy giallo. Ooh, okay. Like so you, rem- you remember Luz? Yes, uh, yes I do. It's kind of like that. It's it's kind of got that sort of really hyper-visual vibe uh, and, and very specific. Like, it feels like it's an exercise in a style. Okay. But this one's really, really aesthetic, but... It's also got a lot of uh, style of Herschel Gordon Lewis, like Blood Feast or very much Wizard of Gore. Okay. Um, I don't think you've ever <laughs> seen any Herschel Gordon Lewis. It does. Uh, the name rings a bell. That's. I'm also kind of thinking of Joseph Gordon Levitt, who. Yeah. No, he, no, I don't think you've seen of any of his films. He is a major. Uh, like he, he was like the original gore guy. Like he okay. he invented movie gore, kind of uh, as like a genre. Oh, that that would explain why I've heard the name. Yeah. So uh, Wizard of Gore is this movie he made where there's this guy who has his magic act where he hypnotizes people. And then it's like he destroys them, like destroys their face and rips their rips their face apart with his hands until it's just made. And then at the end, they're totally fine and they walk away. And then. They leave and later on that night, their body just falls to pieces or something. Very weird movie. Uh, extremely repetitive. Uh, but I feel like this movie is sort of riffing on some of that, the the look and intensity of his stuff. So okay. this one, it's like it's a giallo. So you got a black gloved killer who is mysteriously killing people. And the gimmick is they're all killed in magic act ways. Because the, the main guy who all of the killings are happening around is a stage magician. Right, right. Okay. And So, like, you get your woman sawed in half, for example, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, there, there's a woman sawed in half. You got someone with a bunch of knives in their head in a box. Uh, it, it, it's The thing is, it, it's kind of absurdist, and you're not really sure how you're supposed to be feeling about it most of the time. And then at the very end, it just swerves and becomes hilarious it just turns into a comedy and a lot of people absolutely hate it i like it it suddenly turns into inspector ike for the last 10 minutes is how it (laughs) felt to me and for me it elevated for the movie for a lot of people it ruins it but it made me laugh so hard when it just switched up in the end it's like oh yeah okay i see (laughs) Uh, i want more inspector ike i want a series be rad maybe one day maybe Next up, we've got a haunted Turkish bathhouse. Oh, wow. That's naked titty on the poster. There sure be. Uh, this is a pinku horror. Uh, are are you familiar with? Yeah, the, the pink film, the Japanese pink film. Are you familiar with the concept? No, I'm not. So it's sort of like the soft core. It, it's very hard erotica uh, bordering on pornographic, but not quite. Uh, and so it's it's a pinku horror Okay. And there's a ghost cat, of course. Of course. Uh, there is, and and there's the it's it starts with this brothel and prostitution is outlawed, so they convert into a bathhouse and they just rent bathrooms to all of the people, and you know they're running as a Turkish bathhouse where it's still just a brothel. Right. But there's one girl who didn't want to continue being a prostitute, but then, like, she gets forced into it. It's a very similar situation to uh, Prisoner Scorpion. Okay. Where, you know, she just has uh, the shittiest guy who uh, reels her into this. All right. So the first half of it, a lot of sex violence. Quite a lot. Uh, it's 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 harsh, but it, it does have Hausu 
energy by the end. Like it, oh. it becomes supernatural and it becomes very ridiculous in the okay. last last half. Oh, right on. Oh, I love <clears throat> Haosu. So good. Uh, next up, in the folds of the flesh. Uh, uh, this. What is in the folds of the flesh? So this is another giallo. Uh, a very very strange one where it's it's this uh there there's these people who live in this castle and it's it's this creepy gothic castle and it kind of seems like maybe when people show up there they murder them it's maybe a murder castle but it starts with this flashback where someone is the 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 mother is burying someone in the front garden and this guy who's running away from police sees her but then he's caught by police and he comes back years later to find out what he saw. And it's, it's very okay. complicated. It turns <laughs> out like they're involved with a criminal gang, like the family and there's all these murders and uh, there's people who secretly aren't dead. And I don't know, <laughs> it's really, really convoluted, quite a trip. Okay, cool. Next up is house, but not house. Not house. So this is an American movie. Uh, it's uh, Steve Miner, the guy who did uh, Friday the Thirteenth two and three. Okay. Cool. He's sort of and and he's the producer on the first one, so he's sort of the shepherd of the Friday the Thirteenth series. This is his Evil Dead riff. <laughs> oh, 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 House because Evil Dead could have been called Cabin. Yeah, this is a suburban uh, Evil Dead. Oh, that could be scary. Well, they don't go for scary so much. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's it's this author who is trying to write his memoirs of his time in Vietnam, but he's mainly a horror author. Right. Okay. Well, and there's horror in Vietnam. Absolutely. He has lots of flashbacks to it where uh, he's in the war with Richard Mall. You know, the 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 he's he's in he's on Night Court. He's the oh. big guy on Night Court. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So he's his war buddy who he he's always having these flashbacks to his adventures with in Vietnam. Uh, but he he moves into this house that or he inherits this house from his aunt and the house stole his kid at some point in the past. The, the house stole. Oh, okay. the house stole the kid. <laughs> yeah, like he was living there with the aunt and like he and his his family, uh, his wife and his son, and then. The kid disappeared in the house one day. And oh, okay. Found. Okay, so, I gotcha. So he okay. he's inherited the house and he's writing his Vietnam memoirs there. And it's just super haunted, obviously. Okay. <laughs> uh, his next door neighbor is George Went, Norm <laughs> from Cheers. <laughs> and he's a big fan of him as a horror author. So he's like always coming by to check on what he's doing. It's kind of almost a comedy movie more than it's a horror movie. Okay. Very good creature effects. Oh, nice. Right on. Uh, next up is Dark Intruder. <clears throat> so this is one that was uh, intended to be, uh, it, it's a, a rejected pilot for a TV series. Okay. So mid-60s TV series where Leslie Nielsen was going to play an occult investigator. Oh, this, now this was pre-comedy uh, well pre-comedy Wesley Way Nielsen. before. So he's doing like a Doctor Strange type. Like, and it's amazing to see him with black hair. This is so oh, weird. Oh, wow. I, you know, I don't think I've ever seen that before. He's always had white hair as long as I've yeah. known of his existence. I think it's died. 
because I, I think I've seen him in 50s movies where his hair is kind of graying. Oh, wow. But yeah, so it's it's him looking into a case. It was obviously going to be an episodic thing. You have a whole cast of characters that's supposed to be there. Uh, it, it's it's a vibe he's doing. It's it's him looking into a Jekyll and Hyde case. And oh, it's okay. really obvious there's a guy who's Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, it's pretty short. You know, it's it's only 59 minutes. It was supposed to be uh, a pilot. And so they just aired it as a TV movie instead. Hmm. Next up, The Last Man on Earth. This is like the same story that I Am Legend is based on, right? Yeah, all based on the same novel. My understanding is this original one is the most faithful version. Uh, also, The Omega Man with Charlton Heston. Right, that one I've heard of. I uh, have not seen, though. Uh, I've seen those two. I've never seen the Will Smith one. Uh, apparently, I don't know because I haven't read the book, but apparently it just completely misses the point, which probably isn't that surprising. I mean, yeah, there, there's uh, the the aughts horror remakes era was really bad. It's the worst era for horror remakes because I I'm I'm not set against it as a concept. The 80s had some great ones. Oh sure. Oh my god, the Fly remake. Yeah, the Blob remake's really good. Oh, never uh, seen that. Obviously, the Thing is incredible. Oh yeah, that's right. That's a remake. Yeah. So Last Man on Earth is Vincent Price and. It's it's a really interesting one. The the I am legend thing is because uh, he realizes late in the movie that he has become this secret legend to the vampires that exist for most of the earth now because it's uh, it's it's a pandemic thing. You know, everybody's infected on Earth. Everybody's turned into a vampire. Okay. So they're they're pretty slow moving. They're kind of dim, but they only come out at night. Right. And you kill them by staking them. So, uh, they, yeah, they're they're just freaking vampires. It's the disease that turns the world into vampires, except Vincent Price. He's the only one immune for whatever reason. Sure. You got to have somebody. And when we start the movie, he's like well into it. <clears throat> he's been the last man on Earth for like four years and he's getting kind of sick of it. He's, he's just really depressed. And there's like everything starts to go wrong when he goes to his wife's crypt and just falls asleep in a depressive episode and we have the flashback to the rest of the movie but then because he's been doing this depressive episode he sleeps through the whole day and it's nighttime and he has to fight his way back home oh okay okay <laughs> that's really good uh interesting post-apocalypse or interesting apocalypse because you get the whole flashback sequence where you see him dealing with all of it uh where it's it's starting to happen because he's a chemistry Like, uh, I think he's a biochemist or something because he's studying the disease. Oh, okay. okay. And he actually learns how to cure it by the end, interestingly. Oh. Uh, Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Very, very uh, strange movie. Remember the Will Smith uh, quote-unquote remake of iRobot? I never saw that. Uh, Had nothing to do with the book. Yeah, and, you know, people forget about that, like, 70s oscars where vincent price bitch slapped tony curtis for uh talking <laughs> shit about his nephew cody <laughs> all right next up we got the premature burial oh, uh, um, this hey. is a roger corman one okay based on uh po- an edgar Allan poe story oh okay i oh, i used to be really into poe in high school because of course i was poe's great uh so th- this one uh well like so corman his most 
high profile movies are sort of his Poe adaptations. This is a little bit earlier. This is pretty early in the cycle. Uh, later on, he did a bunch of them with Vincent Price that are really highly regarded and sort of viewed as his best work. Okay. So this one's a little early on. It's pretty wacky. There's Ray Milland, and he's just completely overwhelmed with his fear of being buried alive. Right. Because the thing is, he has catalepsy, and he has this fear that if he has a fit and he's pronounced dead accidentally, uh, there's this chance that he'll be buried alive. Oh, so he has a legit reason to be scared of this. Okay. Yeah. So that, Well, then that's terrifying. So the thing is, he becomes entombed in creating a tomb. He He builds a tomb that's like elaborately foolproofed. <laughs> like there's so many fail safes for if it turns out he's alive and okay. and like there's this really funny scene where like he has a friend over and his wife is just really concerned about him because this has been going on for quite a while and he just walks them through the many many fail safes <laughs> it's it's quite funny uh at that point uh it's it's a weird movie very strange okay cool ultimately of course he does end up getting buried alive uh, well, you gotta. You gotta. Next up is House 2, the second story, which is brilliant, brilliant subtitle, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so good. they went upstairs for this one. It's actually just a completely different, completely unrelated movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. Like, same, same production crew, just uh, no story relation. It's a different house. <laughs> different okay. house that's haunted. Right. Even sillier, much sillier, honestly, than the first movie, which already kind of was a comedy. I was I was talking about this in the chat, how this has John Ratzenberger instead of George Wendt. <laughs> and he's like an adventurer electrician or plumber or something. I don't know. It's, it's very goofy. <laughs> well, you know, Mario is an adventurer plumber. Yeah, I guess so. I think that's kind of what they're going for. But John Ratzenberger is Mario? Nah. No. Nah. Give me well, Bob I mean, Hoskins. Chris Pratt is Mario. Well, there remains to be seen. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, uh, he sounds like Linda Belcher. So <laughs> the the thing is, that they uh, I can't remember why they end up in this house, but they move into this house and it's just, for some reason, it's the doorway to all realities. Oh. And it, like they've inherited the place and this guy realizes that like he he's looking through his uh, grandpa's stuff and he finds that his great grandfather was buried with this really cool classic crystal skull, you know, oh. it's like, Ooh, I kind of want that. And the cemetery is just down the road. Let's go dig up my grandpa. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. You know, they, they'll do that. Whatever. Yeah. So they dig him up and holy shit, dude's still alive. He's just a mummy now. Oh, he's just been waiting for someone to dig him up for 150 years. He's really bored. Oh God. <laughs> So he's so, just been hanging out. Yeah. So he comes to their house and, you know, they hang out and, you know, they, they chill. You know, he, he, he learns about drinking and stuff and they play with the crystal skull. And uh, it opens up the nexus and there's like a caterpillar that's also got a dog head and it's like becomes their pet. And there's like <laughs> this giant Neanderthal uh, monster man who comes rampaging through the house and steals the crystal skull. There's a baby pterodactyl that they're taking care of for a while. It's sure. goofy. <laughs> <sighs> do, do I need to have seen the house to understand house too? No, it's completely unrelated. All right. Uh, next up is buried alive. 
This is also called Edgar Allan Poe's Buried Alive. I uh, wonder if it's based on the same story that Premature Burial is based on. I don't think so, but it's oh. very loosely related in, in any case. Oh, okay, cool. This one's a reform school slasher movie, which I don't think Poe ever wrote anything like. I don't I don't imagine so. There's a thing. It, it's a classic Poe story where someone is walled up, brick wall. The cask up. of Amontillado. I, that's, yeah. that's my favorite. So there, there's that that's involved in this. That's what you got for, for Poe. And it's, it's funny that they put Edgar Allan Poe's Buried Alive right in the title when that's all you got. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's a really crooked reform school. There's someone going through slashing people and also someone's being buried alive and someone's having flashes of people being buried alive. Uh, a lot of major horror actors like Robert Vaughn is the main guy who runs the place. But you also got Donald Pleasance kicking around doing a doing a silly voice with goofy glasses. <laughs> I love Donald Pleasance. And like really late in the movie, John Carradine shows up. And he just like comes flying out of the wall in a wheelchair screaming. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got Parasite 3D. Oh, they they made the Oscar movie in 3D. Yeah, you know, you did one of those uh, re reconverts, uh, you know, kind of tasteless like that Clash of the Titans one. But no, no, this oh. is a 1982 3D movie. Oh, okay. uh, real trashy, low budget, uh, post nuclear apocalypse. So it's a body horror movie where uh, there's just this rubber parasite thing that uh, it, it was it was grown in a lab and now it just attaches it to people and attaches itself to people and just sucks them up and destroys them. Uh, it's right. really gross every time you see it. Uh, I kind of wish I had a 3D setup for some of this because uh, there's th this part where someone like gets stabbed with a pipe. And then blood is oozing out of the pipe at the end. And like that fills the entire screen. Is it jutting oh, out? And it's oh, like, oh, that would have been such a good 3D effect. <laughs> I wonder how 3D technology was back then compared to the 3D that every single movie is nowadays. I mean, it Cause... was it's it's not dissimilar, uh, but, you know, uh, th there was a brief vogue for it again in the early days. It's just it was really hard for them to get it projected properly at commercial theaters then. Oh. Okay. So it sort of fizzled out. Right. So this is one of those where obviously the real bad guys are uh, the corporate suits who are trying to catch it to use it as a weapon. Uh, of course. Obviously, it's going to be the bad guy. Yeah. And obviously, in this one, it, he drives a, a Lamborghini, which is great. Nice. Is he played by Paul Reiser? Is some dude. This is a uh, very cheap production. <laughs> he couldn't get Paul Reiser. Well, also, this is four years before Aliens. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm thinking Alien 1, which did not have and did not need Paul Reiser. Indeed. Uh, next up, we've got The Iron Rose. So this is a Jean Rolland film. I I feel like you've probably seen one of his at some point. Probably one of the vampire ones. Maybe. Uh, I think Shiver of the Vampires, where the, the lady vampire jumps out of the clock to seduce the bride that one time. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know if I've seen that or not, but it sounds like my jam. I love that one. Uh, I don't know. Or, or Requiem for a Vampire, where at the end, the vampire just lets him go because it turns out he's kind of just a chill dude and he'd rather just die. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's sort of the vibe of a Roland film is the thing. Just people kind of thinking about death and sort of considering it and, you know, being moody and uh, thinking about love and sex and death. Cool. 
so at the beginning of this one, there's a beach, and it's a beach that I've seen in a whole bunch of Roland films. It's usually at the end. This one, it's at the beginning. And so this lady, she's on the beach, and an iron rose washes up. Like a sculpture of a rose made out of iron? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I, I would have to assume something that would have come from a grave. Uh, you know, it seems like the sort of thing that would decorate a crypt. Right, uh, sure. So this woman, she finds it. She's like, oh, that's neat. And she lets it rest. And then she goes with her lover on a road trip. And they stop to have lunch in one of these huge, sprawling Euro cemeteries that just, like, go on forever. Okay. Uh, they climb down into a crypt, have sex, and then it's dark when they go up, go up, and they get hopelessly lost. And it's just them lost in the cemetery at night, starting to panic. That's the movie. All right. Them just, like... Yeah, it, it is a movie about them wandering around a dark cemetery at night, freaking out. <laughs> it's great. Sounds like fun. Next Sounds like is... a fun way to spend the night, maybe. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work out well. Oh, next, no. Next up is Deadly Games. Ooh, my least, I'm the kind I'm the least good at. So uh, th- this is a slasher movie. <laughs> I sound it, a little hesitant. It's like... A melodrama with a slasher in it. It's like a mumblecore <laughs> slasher movie. Oh boy! Because <laughs> like it's it's very very dark. It's very slow paced. Uh, very low lit. A lot of people just chatting in rooms. Uh, and there's just two suspects because we know it's this deadly games and we we know who the two people playing the games are. Right. We've got one guy who's a cop and he seems to be really together and he's uh, pretty well liked. Uh, And he's just kind of an empty slate. (laughs) And the other guy is just this really obvious red herring. He's played by Steve Railsback, who a couple years before had played Manson on a very popular TV version of the Charles Manson story. Okay. Uh, And he's playing a Vietnam vet who everyone thinks is weird. And it's the two of them playing this deadly game where they play monsters. They've been playing it. It's like their home built game that they've been playing since high school. Okay, cool. And it's this movie about all of these people who are locked in their high school personas way into adulthood and are just not able to deal with anything. And then, you know, someone's going through murdering them. And it's obviously one of these dudes. <laughs> but it's, it's mostly it's mostly interesting to me because it's like uh, it spends a lot of time with women talking to each other and how they uh, relate to each other and sort of uh, looking at their support and social circles and then looking at these two guys who are just this toxic duo and it's just not working out. Uh, very interesting as sort of like a psychological thing, but not so uh, much a slasher movie most of the time. Really slow. All right. Next is 16 Tongues. Uh, this is Scooter McRae, who did Shatter Dead. Do you remember Shatter Dead? I talked about a bit. It's, a, it's this movie where uh, all of the dead... Uh, rise up like throughout history like everyone who was ever dead is alive again and no one dies anymore but there's just kind of like no way to deal with the influx of new people in society and just everything collapses as a system very strange are they still able to make babies i mean like most no no like they're dead like they have no biological functions right so uh also they can't heal So whatever condition they were in is just the condition they're always going to be in. It's only going to get degrade. But that's that's shattered dead. Uh, And it's it's one that's really stayed in my mind. So it's really fucked up. It's one of the most 
haunting of the SOV movies I've seen. So this is a this is a movie by the same guy, and it's him doing a cyberpunk dystopia that's like body horror. And so I talked about it. Adrian Torque is the main guy who has sixteen tongues grafted to his body. Oh, like to replace skin or something? I think I yeah, remember there was a terrorist explosion and he got burned very badly. So the the tongue flesh of all of the people who were killed was grafted to him. <laughs> What a weird solution. Yeah, and he's like a rogue cop who's maybe sort of a robocop who's killing people like for the government, I guess. And there's this thing like, he's staying in this motel. There's just constant pornography everywhere because it's sort of near future. And uh, like uh, you have to pay the room to you have to pay the front desk to turn off the TV to stop having constant pornography playing. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, and there, there's this cyborg lady who has her clitoris uh, implanted in her eyelid. So every time she blinks, she orgasms. And it's very distracting for her. So her <laughs> her killer cyborg stuff just isn't getting done. Uh, weird movie. Very, very weird. Uncomfortable, but wildly imaginative. Oh, man. All right. That sounds, sounds crazy. It's 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 something like it's so grody because it's also SOV. So it's got that real grimy lo-fi aesthetic to everything. All oh, right. On. Next up, we've got Blue Sunshine. Oh, I love this one. <laughs> so MK Ultra, we got in the mix, you know, the, the acid experiments. Yep. Trying to create uh, not super trying to create mind control. Yeah, yeah. So th this is about acid flashbacks because you got the whole 10 years after thing. Uh, a lot of people would get acid flashbacks 10 years later to, to the uh, like, I don't know. It was a whole yeah. thing. There, there's a band yeah. named after it. <laughs> uh, so this one, the, the thing is that they're getting acid flashbacks that make them go on killing rampages. And also they go completely bald. Okay. Uh, and I, I feel like there's pretty obvious social commentary there that's really fun. It's just all of these former acid head hippies who are hiding their balding heads under toupees. <laughs> and then the moment their baldness is revealed, they go into a wild killing frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> it happens like a couple times. Uh, and, and of course, the guy who ties all of them together, who gave them these blue sunshine doses uh is running for congress now oh uh oh that's can't have some of that in congress it would he'd fit right in yeah and my 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 feeling is that maybe he was dealing it for the government back then too because they don't right. really discuss the mk ultra thing but i kind of feel like that's the the hidden agenda there is that it's not a secret from the government it's a government secret mm. uh a really amazing final showdown is they're in a disco in the, in the middle of a 70s mall. And the okay. disco is like this wood paneled, ridiculous space. And, you know, the last big freak out occurs there and then it spills out into the mall. You know, I love a good <laughs> 70s mall for a location. Oh, I, I, you know, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I most of the dead the 80s malls been too long. Oh, so good. Uh, next up, Death in Haiti, a.k.a. Tropic of Cancer. Okay. This is the next one from uh, Giallo, uh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome's Forgotten Giallo, Volume 4 or 5? I think it's 5. Maybe 4. I don't know. 
but this one's a giallo in Haiti. That's, so that's an unusual uh, setting for a giallo, isn't it? Very odd. Uh, so really sunny and bright, and there's a lot of voodoo stuff. So it's like a Mondo film almost. Oh, right on. So remember I was talking about Mondo films last week, how it's like a survey of a location and sort of the, the most salacious and right. uh, yes. sensational exploitative things, right? Yeah, yeah. So you do got a lot yeah. of it. So voodoo, you, you do got a lot of animal sacrifice and it's real. So it's not not great, okay. uh, but it, it's it's an interesting movie. It's it's like there's this doctor in Haiti who's developed this secret, tr- the super drug that uh, everybody wants. Right. We don't know what it's about, but it, it's what people are trying to get. And then, you know, obviously a black gloved killer is killing off people who get too close to uh, the information about it. Right. Yeah, that sort of stuff. Uh, cool. yeah. Next up, Don't Go in the Woods. It's uh, one of my all-time faves. I think I might have seen this one, actually. They don't listen. They do go in the woods, don't they? Well, they absolutely go in the woods. I mean, there's so many people in the woods. It's unbelievable how many people are in the woods for how remote they're supposed to be. <laughs> like, there's a part where the uh, the sheriff is uh, says, God damn it, what are all those people doing out there? <laughs> like, I, I agree. I don't know what they're all doing out there. It's unbelievably congested for uh, how remote it's supposed to be. And they keep stumbling over the bad guy's uh, secret hut accidentally. <laughs> I love that. That's hilarious. Uh, it's it's a very early slasher. It's 81, but it feels like it was made in 1971 somehow. Like, it's a proto-slasher somehow after. All right. Uh, it's It's bizarre i never know what it's trying to do but i absolutely love it because it's a complete disaster uh it's it's widely hated this is uh, my my love of it is unpopular but it <laughs> it's so strangely made it's almost surreal like the first half of it it feels like the villain is a disembodied presence because you just see people getting hit and you kind of feel like maybe the camera is representing an unseen presence that's the killer and then it just turns out to be some guy who's big and it's like dirty <laughs> next up we've got the monster from green hell Ooh, never been uh, to green hell before this is uh it's like the darkest heart of africa kind of thing oh, oh, uh you know yeah. so central africa you got giant wasps huge giant fake silly ridiculous creatures uh giant wasp monster uh and a whole lot of stock safari footage and footage of tribesmen running away from things that they've that they've like put the bee monster into the background of and very corny very hokey right on i'm sure it's very racially sensitive too oh yeah it's it's top notch in that regard in every sense yeah it's it, it they they were really sensitive uh last up is dead heat Another old favorite of mine. This is uh, sort of a remake of the noir film DOA. I think I've heard of that. So DOA, this guy gets poisoned and he's got 24 hours to live. So he's going to spend that 24 hours hunting on the guy who poisoned him. He's going to catch the guy who killed him before he dies. That's so cool. Rules. Uh, Absolutely fantastic movie. This is a horror an 80s goofy horror remake of that. So it's Treat Williams as... Roger Mortis. <laughs> that is, that's the best stupid name ever. <laughs> he's a he's a cop. 
his his partner is Joe Piscopo, unfortunately. And, and oh man, he quips. He's got one-liners all movie. Just they don't stop. <laughs> but Treat Williams, his character gets put into a decompression chamber and dies. But fortunately, he dies in the room next to the resurrection machine used by the supervillain who's sending out all the zombie thugs that they've been investigating. All right. All right. Yeah, I kind of skipped ahead there, but like. There, <laughs> so there's future shit. No, it's it's the 80s. <laughs> okay. There, it's just someone's developed this resurrection machine. So they've like they, they've been dealing with this rash of really brazen robberies and they go out to this uh, daylight jewel a jewelry store robbery and they're just shooting away at these guys and it's doing nothing to them because they're zombies and they can't be killed. Right. So finally, you know, he's, he's tracking it down and he gets killed and gets resurrected. And he's like, okay, it, well, I mean, I feel totally fine. It's like, well, it's degenerating really fast. You've probably got about 12 hours before you actually just die again. It's like, oh, that sucks. Well, I'm going to go hunt these people down. And it's, couldn't he just use a resurrection machine again? That's what Joe Piscopo suggests. They try that on someone later. It doesn't work out. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, it's it's you know him as a zombie cop uh, going around dealing with tons of zombie thugs. There's lots of really ridiculous squibby effects and uh, gruesome zombie guys. Like when they they go to the lab, they find the resurrection machine because there's this huge biker guy with like four faces. <laughs> Very weird movie. I absolutely right. love it, but like Piscopo's humor is extremely bad, but uh, you know, it's, it's mostly fun around the rest of it. And it's too bad because he's not bad dramatically in the movie, but his comedy is leaden. Mm, all right. So those are our 18 picks. What do you oh, think? Boy. Uh, well, you know what? I have seen Vincent Price in things, but I've never seen a Vincent Price movie. That is something to remedy. It's one of the yeah. greats. And, uh, you know, what better way to do it than, well, this will be the last movie or the last series of movies that we end up watching in October. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so what better time to do it than Halloween? Last Man on Earth, Vincent Price. Uh, real classic. Uh, all right. So for our main feature, what are you feeling? Our last week in the main spooky stacks for this year. All right. Well, I having a look here and i'm kind of leaning to <laughs> alien three no not alien three uh <laughs> oh you know what let's close it off with another slasher let's do the first friday the 13th the original all right yes. all right I, i'm always down to watch the original it is a classic uh no jason in that one well a little bit of Jason. Yeah, song. but not the Jason that uh, is commercially marketed. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see how this one compares to Halloween because I haven't seen it since. Well, it's been quite a few years now since I've seen it. I've watched it a couple times this year, maybe three times. I love this movie. Uh, so, yeah, I'm totally jazzed to watch it again. It's not as good as Halloween. Uh, be prepared for it to not be as good as Halloween. But it's Well, I mean, not much fun. will be. Yeah, uh, it's... Like, I would say it's not as good as Halloween or Silent Night, Deadly Night, but I'd probably still put it above Blood Rage. Like, it's up there in my faves. Cool. All right. So, yeah, next week we've got uh, Friday the 13th and The Last Man on Earth. That should be kind of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
Uh, and as of time of recording, it's five more days to Halloween. But uh, when this lands, it'll be what one one more day to Halloween. One more day till Halloween. Incredible. Halloween. Halloween. One more day till Halloween. Silver Shamrock. Lost my voice at the end there. Yeah. Uh, so any last thoughts before we close out for this evening? Um, actually, yeah, I was thinking about it during the break and I was just thinking if I were making this project and like I was putting my heart, any project and like hmm. I was writing it and I had this vision for it and I put my heart and soul into it and then somebody took it and did something completely different with my baby, I, I would be pretty bitter. Yeah, I get why they are. Yeah, I totally get it. It's just it's too bad that they've never been able to reconcile it even a little bit. Yeah, I just oh, they, they still go way too far with it. Like nobody should be burning in hell over this. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit much. That's a bit much. Great movie, though. Um, love yeah, what they came up with. That's a blast. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, and I didn't really think of anything, so we'll just say Happy Halloween, folks.